Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program. Tonight is going to be our 20th year. Menachem, we're almost a half year point over here. Been going pretty well, Baruch Hashem. And uh, as we said before, we're full to FDM Tevin. So this platform is really exploding and we have a dynamic lineup one after another. Um, again, I want to thank everybody who comes on every week and people that post it on their WhatsApp statuses and all their social media and really tell their friends and family about it. Really appreciate it. Again, this is a, you know, a Chesed platform to help people. We're trying to get the best of the best, Rabbi Tav, including you, to come on, to be Chazik people. And, uh, you know, so people can please let people know about it. It's very appreciative. And I really, me and Menachem, Coach Menachem, really want to let people to know about it. I want to first thank our advertising sponsors this week, uh, the Lakewood Scoop, for every week pushing us here in Lakewood and uh, getting the Lakewood crowd into it. I want to give a thank you to Rabbi Yanif Chazak, pushing it on the Chazak platforms. They offer programming for all. For more information, you can go to chazak.org. Um, I want to give a special thank you to Mrs. Mika Sofer for posting us on CLL Live. A big shkoyach to her. And a special, special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN Jewish Content Network for always promoting us across all Jewish digital platforms. Um, again, as we said, the platform is, is really exploding. I was going to jump into next week. Uh, we have uh, an interesting guest, uh, Judge Dan Butler from Pittsburgh is coming on. Um, his life story is amazing, and we're going to discuss special needs children and special needs and extremely hard life situations and how to not only overcome them, but actually to go through them. Uh, I spoke to them two, three times. He's an absolutely phenomenal person. And um, I think every, everybody's going to get to meet somebody that they've never seen before. And then afterwards, we have Dr. Akiva Perlman coming in as well. Uh, let's open up tonight with our, with our host, Coach Menachem. Please, Menachem, open up. Okay. Thank you, Ushi. Welcome, everyone, to another show of Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. I want to thank you, all listeners, and for all the feedback, suggestions, constructive criticism, and uh, I want to thank all of those who gave a donation so we can continue on our mission of bringing on this platform the best of the best to helping Kal Yisrael get the clarity, the chizik, the direction to grow. And if you'd like to donate, you can go to menachembernfeld.com, scroll down to the bottom, and you'll see it all there. So we're actually up to show number 20 which is really amazing. And we've gone through the summer and I think we're up to the last week of the summer. People are traveling back from the country and hoping eventually to settle in and uh, go back to, I'm not sure what, before uh, hopefully not knowing of anything going on, kids back in school. Let's hope, permits Hashem. Tonight's topic, sacrificing for marriage is not what you think it is. Now, as usual, the spectrum is huge. From people that they don't understand why anybody used the word sacrificing in marriage, if marriage is so beautiful, to all the way on the other side where sometimes it's about time to say it's over and sometimes that happens. So I believe tonight we will be discussing those marriages that I call the healthy ups and downs with some challenges in between, and that's pretty vague too. And understanding how and what sacrifices are needed in marriage and where to draw the line. 
Now the truth is in any relationship with a spouse or child, a coworker, relationship with your creator and with yourself, any relationship you need a deep understanding of the other person to be able to relate to. But first, before you try to understand them, you need a real deep understanding of yourself, which you're part of the relationship. We need to see ourselves, understand ourselves, where am I when I'm walking into this relationship? And I think it's a very appropriate in the month of Elul, we're all working on a relationship with Hashem. And I think it, uh, it has a connection, understanding relationships, understanding how we look at Hashem, how we look at us, and when we meet Hashem, what's the relationship? Imagine that the person you're having a relationship with, with is exactly like you. Would you be able to live with a person just like yourself? And many struggle with that, and they don't really live with themselves. They're always on the go, running, keeping busy. And if you have money, it can be easier. You can buy stuff, always being busy shopping or renovating. There's no end just to be busy so that I don't have to be with myself and facing the reality where I am because it's hard. So the truth is when we start talking about relationship, we really have to find ourselves first. And uh, one of the ways we can do that is you can try out this exercise by sitting with yourself for a few minutes. You might become aware of those thoughts and that's the thoughts that you're having with yourself about yourself, which is what we're running away from. Do you believe you're human and have deficiency, deficiencies or you don't have any deficiencies and you're perfect? How do you react to your own mistakes? Are you critical to yourself? Do you feel like a failure? Do you realize when you're critical to yourself? So to work on any relationship, it needs to start with yourself. And to start is with some self-care, with the basic needs that you need, and self-compassion. Again, it's the, the needs that you need, not in a selfish way, which we'll see soon, where the sacrifice comes in and the, the balance. Only after practicing some self-compassion, taking care of yourself, understanding your, the deeper needs that you need on a deeper level, only then can you start understanding the person, the other that you're having a relationship with to be able to sacrifice for them. And Amit Hashem tonight, we'll have a little bit of understanding of our relationship and what's missing. And I would like to thank Rabbi Tao for coming on tonight. The truth is, I know you from the Ami magazine. I think you can't really find Rabbi Taub all over. He's either speaking on, on large um, audiences or hiding behind his pen in the Ami, Ami magazine. And Baruch Hashem, we have the opportunity to have you tonight with us so we can ask you live, talk to you live. So I believe in Mitzvah Hashem we'll be able to um, get some clarity and help us on this topic. Thank you. Thank you, Coach Menachem, for opening up. Appreciate it. Uh, tonight's share is going to be Lazeich Nishmas, a very good friend of mine, Arnech Fried, Shalom Aleichem, his mother's yard site tonight, Chaya Leah Bas, Reb David, 
because the art side is tonight, and the Shomash have a huge aliyah tonight from tonight's program, being because of so many people, really. And Arnech is the, the real founder of Let's Get Real. He put it together when it was a little uh, neighborhood program. Uh, three, you didn't think it would turn into this, but, you know, you never know. Um, let's give a little overview of tonight's show. Tonight, we have an incredible special program with Rabbi Shays Taub. I'm going to read you his bio, and we'll get into a little bit what we're trying to do tonight, so we're all on the same page. Rabbi Shays Taub is a highly sought-after speaker, best-selling author, and popular columnist. He delivered lectures and classes on six continents, writes a weekly advice column in the AMI magazine, and is the author of the book, God of Our Understanding, Jewish Spirituality and Recovery from Addiction, which was praised by Publishers Weekly as a singular resources for those in need. The National Public Radio referred to him as an expert in Jewish mysticism and the 12 steps. The New York Times called him a phenomenon. He has developed several groundbreaking works on Tanya, including the Tanya Map Teaching Tool, the JLL Soul Maps Curriculum, and the audio series Mapping the Tanya. His speeches and classes may be viewed on his website, soulwords.org. He currently serves as a scholar in residence at Chabad of the Five Towns in Cedarhurst, New York. Again, I, I am probably most people on the program know Rabbi Tal from his uh, Ami you know, uh, articles, which I usually when I buy the Ami, it's the first thing I do is read your article. Otherwise, I wouldn't really buy it, but, but I buy it for your article. And I happen to have bought the Ami book. Um, it's in my grocery store when I check out the Ami letters, and it's been amazing. So again, he has the Ami Letters Volume 1 that came out that I personally read through some of the, some of the stuff I thought was amazing. The topics include chinuch, parenting, shaduchim, shalom bias, in-laws, divorce, and remarriage. Um, and right now, I don't know if anybody knows, but Ami is coming out, Ami Letters Volume 2, it's coming out this week. The topics include in that book, faith and belief, emotional well-being, friends and community, family matters, keep it out of aim, and work and finances. Um, it's normally sold for $24.95 in all the bookstores. Rabbi Taub said he's coming on tonight. He wants to tell them that, you know, what's coming on tonight. If anybody wants to buy it, it's going to be $20 with free shipping in the United States. Um, please specify which volume you're ordering and how many copies you want. If you want the book signed, he's willing to sign it. I hope you can sign a few thousand copies. I'm just letting you know. Yeah, I hope your hands work. You know what I mean? After tonight's show, it might go, it might go viral. Um, again, if anybody wants to order, you go to www.soulwords.org slash donate. I guess that's where the book is. And you could, and you could order the second book and get it uh, at a discounted price. I want to talk a little bit about his website, soulwords.org. is an amazing website, video, amazing video site where you could watch hours of Shiram and lectures of Rabbi Shea Staub, the whole Tanya, the whole Shara B'tochen, weekly Pasha, Yom Toivim, and all sorts of different topics. Again, let's get into tonight's program. Tonight we're focusing, Rabbi Shea Staub came on especially tonight to discuss marriage and what sacrifice means in a marriage. So again, Rabbi Shea Staub, I'm going to make this very clear. Rabbi Shea, if there's anything I'm saying, you'll tell me. Rabbi Shea Staub is not a therapist. Rabbi Shea Taub is not a life coach. Rabbi Shea Taub does not want to get 1,000 emails. When can you meet me? I need to talk to you in an emergency. If anybody needs a life coach, I think I know a good one. He's on this program now. If anybody can find him, you could find him. Ahead, Rabbi Shea Taub is a, is, 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 is a rub. He gives lectures. He speaks in public. So he wants everybody to understand he's not coming from a therapist's point of view. He's not a therapist. And uh, one of his hesitations to come out of the program, he didn't want to get bombarded with, uh, with you know, people coming to talk about topics. And uh, you feel like this is the Yeshua. This is the Savior. But we're going to discuss the topic of Shalom Bias. We did get a tremendous amount of questions about recovery and addiction type of things. Um, Rabbi Taub said he does not want to touch the topic tonight. We want to stay focused on Shalom Bias and marriage and the topic we're talking about tonight. He, he offered to come back again, probably sometime, sometime down the road. We do have a packed program for November, December. But come back and hit that topic because that is a very big topic. We got a tremendous amount of emails on that. So let's stay away from that tonight. Um, so we're going to be hyper-focused on that tonight. Um, everybody, again, Rabbi Tab is going to open up. We want it to be interactive. We want people to ask questions. We want people to, to be interactive. You have him here. Let's take advantage of him. Um, and this is the only time you're going to get him, unless you listen to his lectures on soulwords.org. <laughs> so, Chaparain. Um, Rabbi Tab, the floor is yours. Thank you. 
Wow. The kayak Ibushi. That was an amazing intro. That's why it's called get what's what's called getting real. Let's get real. Let's get Let's real. Get real. Cause you said the intro that I always wish that they would say before I come on. But you really said it. Oh shit. All right. I feel like we've already we've already gotten pretty real. All right. We just go to questions. We should just, just we, 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 like, we, like we say, you know, just go straight. Just the, exactly. All right. All right. Um I was told that the intro should be, or they should keep it short to less less than an hour. So I, I could probably do it in about 45 minutes. You'll let me know. Okay. All right. Excellent. We're joking because we spoke about the fact the intro has to. Okay. So uh, let, let, let's do it. Let's do it. Marriage. Sacrifice. Let's talk about it. One of the most famous stories in Torah. One of the most dramatic, most climactic stories is the Akedah. And in fact, the story of the Akedah is read coming up. Rosh Hashanah is coming up. Don't want to worry anyone, but Rosh Hashanah is coming up. Um, the Akedah is the reading on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. And there's something interesting about that Kriya. Not just in Parshas Vayera, where you know where that's the the sedra, but also on Rosh Hashanah, the reading. You have this big climax. Yitzchok Avino goes to the Akeda. He's almost sacrificed, and then Hashem says, "Stop! Don't sacrifice him. Sacrifice instead a, a ram." You can't get more dramatic than that. And then after the story is over you have five more psukim. Now, where can you go from there? Like, like Ushi's introduction, where could I go from there, right? When you, once you're already flying high, where do you go from there? And you have five more psukim. And what are, what are the five more psukim? A bunch of genealogy. You know what I mean, genealogy. He begat, he begat, he begat, you know, like a list of who was whose descendants. So you went from the most dramatic moment in the entire Torah to a list of, you know, this generation, that generation. So what, what's, what's the connection? So we look to Rashi. Rashi helps us out. Rashi tells us this genealogy is for a purpose. This genealogy is to tell us where Rivka comes from. Why? Because after the Akedah, Avram Avinu said, you know what, I almost sacrificed my son. He's a 37-year-old bacher. He never, we never made a shidduch for him. And if, he, if it would have happened, then he would have you know, never been married. So it's time to start thinking about shidduchim. And therefore, it goes into the genealogy of Rivka, who became the bride of Yitzchak, as we know. That's the simple explanation. I'm going to share with you, though, another explanation, a deeper explanation that I saw from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Here it is. It's not that the Akedah is the biggest dramatic climax in all of Taito, and then afterwards we have this sort of letdown of five technical dry psukim about genealogy. No. To the contrary. 
the Akeda is the second most dramatic moment in Torah, not the first, second most. The second greatest act of Mesiris Nefesh in the Torah. In fact, it sets the scene for, it is the hachona, the preparation for, the real sacrifice, the biggest sacrifice. And that is Yitzchak marrying Rivka. The biggest sacrifice is marriage. Ad kedekach to such an extent that in order for Yitzchak Avinu to be ready for marriage, his father had to first take him to the Akedah. Yitzchak Avinu had premarital counseling to prepare him for marriage. What was his premarital counseling to prepare him for marriage? He took him to a rock, tied him up, held a knife over him and said, now you're ready, now you're ready. If you're ready to give it all away, but this is even bigger. This is even bigger because there's a Mesiris Nefesh that you can do in a moment. That's called losing your life. Then there's a Mesiris Nefesh that doesn't take a moment. It takes a lifetime. That's called dedicating your life. So the bigger sacrifice, the bigger drama, the bigger climax in the whole Torah was not the Akedah. The Akedah was only the Achana to this. And that, that was marriage. And we learn a lesson for all of us. That when it's time to get married, it's time for Mesiris Nefesh Mamesh. And we have to reframe what Mesiris Nefesh means. Mesiris Nefesh isn't something scary, dark, oppressive. Somebody's coming to destroy me, God forbid. Mesiris Nefesh means that I will no longer allow my ego to impede upon me. You know the ego is a Rosh Tevis, right? Ego, E-G-O, edging God out. I remove the ego, I surrender, and I allow the infinite to flow through me. And if I'm not ready to do that, how can I be successful in marriage? What do I mean? Marriage is not a human endeavor. It's not shy that two human beings should get together and make something infinite. Human beings are finite. How are we going to make something infinite? What's a binyan adayad? Binyan Adayad means an eternal edifice. Eternality is infinite. We're not shy to that. We can't do it. It's not a human endeavor. So how did two human beings get together and do something infinite, do something godly? Two human beings make room for God. And the way we do that is through sacrifice, through surrendering the ego, and allowing a power greater than ourselves to flow through us. And when two people do that together, something godly happens. What I want to talk about also tonight is that even if one person starts doing it, it can also have an extremely powerful effect. And if you're going to wait for the other person to be Mason Nefesh before you're ready to make your move and surrender your ego and be Mason Nefesh, we could be waiting a long time. And sometimes it just takes the willingness to put the ego aside 
and allow that power to enter your life, enter your marriage, and to accomplish something that human beings cannot accomplish. Anyways, I know I have 45 more minutes that I'm allowed to speak, but uh, I think we have we have a poll, we have uh, we have questions, we have. So I'll turn it back over to uh, to Oshie and Coach Menachem. Wow, every time you left us like like okay, you just started. I was like ready for the punchline. The punchline will come with the questions. Okay, so everybody. We're going to give Rabbi Tab a, a woman in break. We're going to take a live poll just to get a feeling from the crowd. Again, everybody, please vote anonymously. Um, nobody knows what everybody's voting, but we just want to get a feel where everybody's holding it. So two-question poll. Here we go. Questions like this. If you could press a button and change your marriage, how would it change? There's four choices you could choose from. My spouse would have more time for me. My spouse would feel more comfortable opening up to me. I would have more time for my spouse. I would feel comfortable opening up to my spouse. Everybody got those four, four answers? Okay, everybody click on the votes. Okay. Again, I'm gonna read question one again because maybe people are not understanding it. If you could press a button and change one thing in your spouse, what would it be? My spouse would have more time for me. My spouse would feel more comfortable opening up to me. I would have more time for my spouse the other way. I would feel more comfortable opening up to them. So the first two is them to you. The second two is them to you, uh, you to them. The second question, what priority would you give working on your marriage? A. It is the most important thing. I would prioritize it above anything else. So A is the, the number one answer. I'll give everything up to work on my marriage. B, it's, it's, it is one of the most important things. Very few things are more important than it. So take it down a notch and it's important, but not the most important. Three, it's monetary important. There are many things moderately important. There are many things that are also even more important. Or D, we hope everybody answers this question. And every time we can be here to three o'clock in the morning, it is not a priority at all. Choose one of those answers. Everybody, come on, let's go. Five, five seconds, let's go. <clears throat> Rabbi Tavi, you could see the answers. Nobody could see what the people are answering. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, sure. Wow. If you could press a button and change it, change your marriage, how would, how, would, how would you change it? It's very interesting. It's like pretty even besides the bottom one. My spouse would have more time for me, 22%. My spouse would feel more comfortable opening up to me, 27%. I would have more time for my spouse is the least answer. It means for them to them is the least. And the winner is I would feel more comfortable opening up to my spouse, 30%. Are we talking see these answers? Yeah, I would feel more comfortable, uh, comfortable opening up to my spouse was the winner. That's definitely the winner, yeah. We're going to definitely talk about that. We're going to come, we're going to come back to that. But it's interesting that the least number one thing is I would have more time for my spouse is 20%. Right. Because they just want to open up and run away. Right, Only right. Take a minute. <laughs> number two is what priority would you give work on your marriage? A whopping 56% said it's the most important thing. I would prioritize it, prioritize it above everything else. Robert Tapp, that's the right answer, right? I just want to make sure everybody chose the right answer. It's a good, there's no right or wrong. It's just true or false. So, so but it's good. It's good. If everyone, if everyone, if no one's trying to impress each other, but it's anonymous, right? Right. Okay. Number, so yeah, though, it's good. Yeah. The number two answer is it's, it, it is one of the most important things. Very few things are more important than that. 37%, 6% says it's, it's not very important. There are many things that are also even more important. And 1%, I guess one Chacham Manashtana said it's not a priority at all. I think they're on the wrong program here, that person. Sorry. I think you're, you're looking for the wrong program. <laughs> Okay, everybody, please turn on your cameras. Everybody, we have Rabbi Taub. He, he, he put out a thought over here about marriage, sacrifice, Akeda. I mean, definitely, that's definitely the way to warm up to marriage. I have a million questions myself. 
We got a bunch of questions. I got emailed before. And anybody wants to ask a question, please text us. Obviously, the live questions go first. And then we can get the people that are embarrassed to ask. Of course, we understand you're not asking for yourself. Everybody has a perfect good marriage. We're asking for your neighbors and your chaverim. We, we all understand it's self-discipline. You don't have to preface it. So we'll start. Um, I'm going to start with one question first, and then we'll, we'll roll into that, okay? Number one, I feel like in my marriage, I always am giving in. and never get my way. My wife always gets her way. How, that is, how is that supposed to be? When is self-sacrifice really just letting yourself? When is self-sacrifice really just letting yourself being abused? That balance. Okay. Okay. So I'm supposed to answer the question. I yeah. can answer the question, but I don't think it's going to be. I don't think how would you, Oshi? How would you? Five hundred and twenty people came for me to answer. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, the first cloud gobble is don't answer the question, answer the questioner. So, you know, you, you try to figure out who this person is from, from their question. I mean, you just read a very short little snippet. Um, I, I gather that this person's a husband because they said my wife, right? So I got that part. Uh, I get this person feels that they're giving in. They, I think they said all the time. They say most of the time or all the time. I think they said all the time. Um, never getting my way. Never, never getting my way. By the way, I always, I always, I always take a second look at categorical statements. You know, black and white, like always or never. You know, okay. But let's say it's true. Okay, I'm never getting my way. Um, and. Is, is, that, is that healthy? Is that okay? I mean, uh, the person said they feel like they're being abused or they asked, is this abuse? So the first thing I would say is we, we don't want anyone to be abused. Um, and, and I think that's actually, I'm glad to have the opportunity to clarify. When we talk about self-sacrifice, we're not talking about being a schmatte, about being a doormat, about allowing yourself to be treated in a way that's not dignified or honorable. Uh, that's not what we mean. A sacrifice is a choice. A sacrifice is something that's made from a place of, of, of self-respect. I'm choosing to make this, this sacrifice. It's not imposed upon me. Um, so, so we don't want anyone being abused. That, that's for sure. But then, you know, my question is, is that, is that abuse? I mean, I guess the question is also asking it, although it sounds like a little bit of a leading question, like implying that it is. And, and here's the thing. Let's say your wife always does get her way. Is that so terrible? And if that would bring peace into your marriage... And if that would give your children the ability to live in a, in a home that's safe and secure, um, if that would bring extra kedusha and, and warmth and love, because you would make a choice to always be mavate. Would that be a terrible exchange? I mean, I mean I'm, I'm sincerely asking, like, would that be a bad deal? I think for the people, I mean, we, we asked the poll, it was an anonymous poll. Nobody was trying to impress the neighbors for once. So 
Um, <laughs> see, I slid that one in there, right? I'm the text, how anonymous could it be if I'm sitting with my spouse? <laughs> oh, now we just hop. Why? Okay, now that's it. We should have had everyone sign in from separate devices. Okay, all right. Anyway, <laughs> of course, everyone said, all right. It was it skewed the polling results. Okay. Anyways, if we're to believe that people said, you know, marriage is the most important thing, most important priority, I would I would put it above everything else. So let's say that you would be you would be mevater a hundred percent of the time. Would that be a terrible thing? And and my answer personally is no, it's not. It's not a terrible thing. Um, I'm suspicious that it's not really being mevater a hundred percent every single time. But my point is, even if it would be, is that such a terrible thing? Uh, let, let, let me put it a different way. Let me, let me put it a different way. There, there's a, I'll, I'll tell you a word. In the Gemara, in, uh, in Gitten, it actually talks about, the, the, we actually, the one that we learn on Tishabov, or a lot of people learn on Tishabov because it's about the Churban. It talks about when the Romans, uh, they cut down a, a cedar tree to fix an axle. An axle broke in a, in a, a wagon. And they cut it down and the Eden went crazy and uh, rebelled because they, the, the Romans didn't realize that this was a special cedar tree. The Eden used to have a minig and it's a Israel that when a boy was born, they would plant a cedar tree. And then when the boy was married, they would take that tree that was planted when he was born and they would cut it down and they would make his chuppah from it. So this was some family cedar that they planted when their boy was born. They were waiting for his chuppah and the Romans cut it down, the, the, the Eden got upset. Anyways, the question is, why, why, what's that, this, why a, a cedar tree? What's the word, a cedar tree? A lot of trees, why, why a cedar tree? So, you know, it says in Telem, in, uh, I think, Kapitel Tzadik, Tzadik ketomer yiske, Tzadik ketomer yifrach, ke'erez belavoni yiske, that a tzadik will flourish, that means give fruit, like a date palm. He'll grow tall like a cedar in Lebanon. So the Baal Shem Tov says, that's talking about two different kinds of tzaddikim. One's a tzaddik who's like a, a cedar in Lebanon. He grows very tall. Tall trees, strong trees. Shleva Melech built the base of Mikdash from cedar. Cedar is a very tall, strong tree. Then there's another tree, which is a date palm. A date palm does not grow as tall. It grows tall, but not as tall, not nearly as tall as a, as a cedar. Why? Because a date palm gives fruit. That's why it's called a date palm, because there's uh, dates on it. So some of the energy it would have used to growing taller, it actually puts into the fruit, which, you know, the fruit is sugar, is, is calories, is nourishment. So that energy it would have used to grow taller, it puts into the fruit, which nourishes others. So the Baal Shem Tov says there's two types of tzaddikim. There's a tzaddik who's into his own shleimus, his own growth, his own development. And he's like, a, he's like a cedar in Lebanon. He grows very tall. But he doesn't benefit anyone. He doesn't give fruit. Then there's a tzaddik who's like the date palm. Some of the energy he could have spent on his own growth, he gives it away. He makes fruit. And th those are two different ways of being. When a child 
is in their you know, formative years, that really is me time. That's a time when you know, the adults in your life are taking care of you and you're really supposed to be focused on yourself, figuring out who you are. That's what childhood and adolescence is all about. It's really about me, who I am, um, about my growth, um, you know, trying to, to accomplish as much as you can accomplish for yourself. And it's, it's like being a cedar. Then comes marriage. Marriage is the end of that. Marriage is, it's no longer about your growth anymore. The cedar days are over. Life from now on is about what you can do for someone else, starting with your spouse, concentric circles going outward, then your children, your community, ultimately the world. So the symbolism is when the child was born, they planted a date palm and they said, now grow tall like that date palm. I'm sorry, not the cedar tree. They planted the cedar tree and they said, grow tall like the cedar tree. A cedar tree that grows tall and doesn't give fruits. You know, be focused on your own development. And then the day that they got married, they would cut down the cedar tree and they would turn it into a chuppah to symbolize that now life is no longer about self-improvement. The symbol of self-improvement, the cedar, now becomes the chuppah. So this, this is what I would say. Did you get married because it was supposed to make you more of something? Did you get married because it was supposed to enhance your existence? Or did you get married because it's an opportunity to be selfless? This is why. Marriage is not, I mean, the biggest mistake I think that people make is that, that they think that marriage is there to enhance my existence, like, like, like some product on Amazon that's gonna make life better. Marriage is not to make your life better. Marriage is to give you the opportunity to make the world a better place, to bring the Shekhinah down into this world, starting with your home. So I think you have to start from the, from the fundamental premise, what's the purpose of marriage? Why did I get married? Did I get married to, to enhance my existence, to enhance myself, to improve my life? Or did I get married to accomplish something bigger than me? And I know that's scary to a lot of people. I, I mean, it, it's a lot of people. It's scary to all of us. It's, it's intrinsically scary because we are wired. The human being is wired for survival. So we don't want anything that threatens our existence. But all spiritual growth comes from facing the fear of ego death. And I got to tell you something. That's what marriage does. You can't remain self-centered and be married, or at least not, not happily, or at least maybe you know, your spouse won't be <laughs> happily married. It forces us to get over the ego. Okay, anyways, we, we, we can, I'm I, gonna- I wanna yeah. go a little, one level deeper. I'm just, cause I'm seeing, you know, a lot of people are texting me on the side and uh, the, the common, the Tzad HaShem the common thread over here, is how could I be Mavata when it's making me go cuckoo or it's so hard? How does a person really look? The concept of being 100% Mavata to, to your spouse, it seems like a lot of people are having a difficulty technically doing it. And so first let's breathe. Okay, okay. First let's breathe, okay? You're okay, you're safe, you're all right. Okay. Remember I was saying before that Self-sacrifice is sacrificing yourself. It's not something that's imposed upon you. 
It's not abuse. It's a choice that you make from a place of self-respect. So I want to make another point. And that's about to whom you make the sacrifice. I'm going to say something very harsh. And I try normally not to speak harshly. But I'm going to say something harsh. If you make a sacrifice, I mean, everyone knows this. I mean, this is basic Yiddishkeit. If you make a sacrifice to anyone but Hashem, it's called a Vedasada. You're only allowed to make a sacrifice to Hashem. When you're Mavate, when you put yourself on the side, you're not doing it to make a sacrifice to your spouse. If you're making a sacrifice to your spouse, then your spouse is your getchka. Your spouse becomes your Avedazara. To many people it is, by the way. The Jewish way, the healthy way, the way that works, I'm making a sacrifice to Hashem. In other words, don't think about that I'm doing this in order to give this other person their way. I'm doing this because I want the Shechina to be at home in my house. And if the way of allowing the Shechina to be at home in my house is to be mevater to my spouse, okay. So, if you know, there's an expression. If we would have been commanded to chop wood. If the Abish would have told us, chop wood every day. So that would have been one of the tayag mitzvahs. And every time you would chop wood, you would connect yourself to the, to, to the Ein Sof. Okay. So what does it matter to you? Which way you're mavatl, you're rotsing to the rotsin What? Because by doing, you know, it reminds me of a, of a story. It's one of these stories. It's called a true story, whether it happened or not. It probably happened many times in very different, you know, various different um, permutations. But the story is like this. The, um, what's the maise? The, the, the shoichet came to the Rav and he had a shaila on a behema. A reya, you know, like an old time, you know, uh, with the long and everything, sirchas, you know. And, and the Rav told him, he can't be matarit. He looked, he tried to find a head, he said, I can't be matarit. So now to lose a behema is a big deal. You know, that's like totaling a car with no insurance. A behema is a lot of money, you know, like. So, um, but he was a from a yid, he, he accepted it. The next day, some yidne came in with, with a chicken. And she said that the sheikh, you know, he, 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 he messed up the, you know, the, the shechita. So uh, they brought the same sheikh, the same sheikh, they brought him in. And they said, uh, you, uh, this yidne says that you, you know, you, you nicked the, you know, the, 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 the shechita with the, with the, with the, oif, with the, with the chicken. He's like, I did not, it's not true. And he's fighting and he's cursing. And the Rav says, I don't understand. When it, yesterday it came to the behema, which is a big loss, you accepted that. You are from a Yid. You accepted. This is what Taita says. Now this Yidna brought you here, and she says you messed up the chicken. One little chicken. Just replace her chicken. Why all of a sudden? He says, you don't understand. It's not about the behema. It's not about the chicken. It's about letting her win. Take the other person out of it. Take them up. It's not being Adam Lechaveide. It's being Adam Lamakim. You want the Shechina to be in your home? This is the way to, the, to allow the Shechina in your home. 
So what does it matter if the way to let the Shekhinah in my home is I happen to have to let my spouse be right? They say, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Pick one or the other. So by Yidin, we, have, I, we can add to that. Do you want the Shekhinah in your home or do you want to be right? Okay, Rabbi Tal, but my, my, my chat box is blowing up over here. I think the concept is just uh, people having a hard time with the concept. Okay. Um, we have a live question. Then we're, I want to get to some of the other questions that came in because they were very good questions. As what they say, this when we talk about self-sacrifice and getting abused by a spouse, there's a famous joke. A lady was walking to the hospital. She was wearing a fancy gown. And then she heard the gown like rip. She said, somebody stepped in and she turned to the guy behind her screamed. She started screaming at him, why are you ripping my gown? He said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were my husband. Um, let's put on, okay, somebody. Here we go. Hello? Why can't I hear him? Talk. Where's your mic? Uh, unmute. Okay, good. Try again. Try again. Okay, now maybe call back and come back and we'll take him on the next on the next round. Let's go to the next question. Okay, Robert Taub. So basically what I'm hearing is a person has to build himself to be able to let go of his ego. He has to feel okay with himself so that when he lets go of the ego, he doesn't lose it. So I think that that takes us to the next question. So I understand the importance of selflessness, but how do you re reconcile the need for self-care with selflessness? How do you take care of yourself, knowing what you need, mm -hmm. building yourself, and then being able to choose, like you said, mm -hmm. to give her what she needs or give him what he needs. So that's a choice that we make. Right, right. Okay, so that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, because at first glance, it might seem like a little bit of a, a contradiction, or at least, you know, how are we gonna, I think you use the word balance. How do you balance it to? The truth is, it's not a contradiction. It's not even a balance. Because a balance implies that you have two different things or maybe two opposite things and you just you know try to find the right mixture that, that works. This actually is all one thing. Self-care and self-sacrifice is one thing. It's one thing, it's one word. We're here to do one thing. I was created to serve my maker. That's all I'm here for. Not here for me. Does that even make sense? that I will be put here and that my purpose is me doesn't even make sense. Obviously my purpose is something greater than me. And I achieve that by through, through self transcendence, what we call bittel. In the Chassidish Sprach, we call it bittel. I was one time I was speaking in, uh, in Texas and uh, I gave a whole talk about humility and Afterwards, some lady came over to me and she says, Beetle. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she says, Beetle. I'm like, yeah, she says, Beetle. She's saying Beetle, like Beetle. She's saying it with like that accent, that Havara, whatever. Beetle, some lady in Texas, Beetle, Beetle. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Beetle, Beetle. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I didn't say the word. I, I was, it was, it was Texas. I didn't say Beetle or Beetle. I said, I just said humility, by the way. What's humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself 
less. <laughs> That's all it is. It's not poor self-esteem. It's freedom from self-obsession. That's what it is. Okay. Anyways, I gave a whole talk about humility. She comes over to me, Beetle, Beetle, Beetle. I'm like, yeah, Beetle. She says, no, be tool. Be a tool of Hashem. See, this is what they call mitalmida yesimakula. Be tool. Bittle is be a tool of Hashem. That when you surrender and you allow a power greater than yourself to work through yourself, that's bittle. So self-care and self-sacrifice, not a contradiction. It's not even something you need to balance the two. It's the same thing. I need to accomplish Hashem's will in this world. Sometimes I do it by accomplishing something. Sometimes I do it by making sure that I'm a Kli that's strong enough and sturdy enough and well taken care of enough that it's going to be able to accomplish that thing. But it's all one thing. So it's not like, you know, there's, there's Avedis Hashem and then there's me time. There's no such thing as me time. It's all Avedis Hashem. But here's the thing we have to understand. Sometimes taking a walk in the park, sometimes exercising, sometimes having a hobby, that is Avedis Hashem. Because I'm doing that in order to take care of myself so I can be an Avedis Hashem. It's all Avedis Hashem. There's no... No contradiction, and not even the need to balance two things, because not two things, it's one thing. Okay, let's try to get this live question. Let's see if it works now. Let's try to get them on. Laura. I have a lot of questions, Rabbi Tom. I'm just letting you know. My thing is blowing up. Okay, okay try again. Let's see. Hello? Hello, hello? Can you hear me now? Yeah, finally. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess my question is jumping into the kind of the, the inside, the inner workings of the husband-wife relationship, even taking the concepts that you're saying, you know, you're talking about till now, you know, which are difficult, but understandable that, you know, every person, uh, both partners have a role to play. So on a day-to-day -day level in the relationship, I guess the question is, what's it supposed to look like? I think there's there's one camp that says each one has the role and everyone has to play their role to the T. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the, the husband has to be the man, you know, who the mashpia, who gives and doesn't need to receive anything. Um, and the wife is, you know, takes care of the home, is the makabal. But there's also this other notion, uh, another type of relationship that says, no, we're, we're friends, we're, we're, you know, there's connection, you share your struggles and I support you and I support your, you know, and vice versa. Is, uh -huh. that, is that a thing or is that in Yiddishkeit? Is that like, okay, not, not okay, but is that supposed to be or is that, out, is that support or sharing supposed to be only outside of the relationship, the marriage, and the marriage is just, you know, role, stay in your role, so to speak. Okay. That's, that's a very thoughtful question. And let me, sure, let me make sure I understood at least part of it. I, I, I never try to understand the entire question because I don't think it's possible. Because to understand an entire question, I mean, you'd have to understand a person's entire life up until the moment that they ask the question. But if I could, if I could understand one piece of a question, I, I feel pretty lucky. So let, let me see if I understand. The caller's still on, right? You still yes, with yes. us? Okay. Basically, 
it sounds like you're asking to what extent are gender roles important to adhere to in a Jewish marriage? That's one level of the question. And then there was like another layer, which is and not just gender roles in the traditional sense, but even sounded like you were also referring to gender roles in the spiritual, or I'll use a philosophical term, the metaphysical sense, meaning mashpia, makabal, that kind of stuff, zo, malchus, you know, the Kabbalistic. Um, and you wanted to know how much is like bonding and supporting each other in a mutual kind of way, how much does that undermine the clear delineation between masculine and feminine? Was that the question or anything similar to the question? Um, yeah, I guess the only clarification I would put is, so to in one sentence, if a wife was to support her husband through a personal or inner or work-related, for example, struggle, is that a contradiction to what Yiddishkeit has to say about marriage? Wow, 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 wow. I love that. Basically, your question is, is asking your wife for emotional support a role reversal that could be unhealthy? Yeah. Beautiful question. Okay, so first of all, I want to tell you, even the fact that you're asking that question is very impressive. And Baruch Hashem, okay. Anyways, let, let's talk a little bit about gender roles in Torah. Because everything in Torah comes from the spiritual and then it's nishtalshal. It, it, it works its way down into the world. So, okay. If, if you'll, I don't know if this is like the speed round over here and if I'm supposed to answer you in two minutes, but I think we need a little hakdama here, maybe five minutes on masculinity and feminine and femininity. Oh, I just want to cut you short for one second. Yeah. A tremendous amount of text from people. I want to let everybody know who's texting me. The people that ask live will go first. If there's time at the end, I will ask the questions. I know that some of them are private, but again, we're going to push the live questions first. I'm sorry, Rabbi Top, continue. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Oshie. Thank you. This is why you need a moderator. This is otherwise. Okay. I heard that Trump and Biden called you to moderate. Correct. Okay. Biden called right. me. He forgot why he called me, and then Trump called me. Okay, just make sure to get paid well. Get paid up front. Okay. Anyway, so let's talk about gender roles. I'll be telling you. Mashpia and makabal. You use the terms. Okay. So what's a mashpia and what's a makabal? A lot of times people translate it as giver and recipient. But it's not really true. Because if you look at every mashpia makabal relationship, the makabal's also a giver. In fact, <laughs> the makabal is often a bigger giver than the giver. Well, remember I told you, I just told you a story, and I told you, so I learned a lot from my teachers, more from my friends, the most from my students. So, Seemingly, the teacher is the mashpia, and the student is the makabal, and yet the teacher ends up learning more from the student than, than the student learns from the teacher. Or more than the balabas does for the ani, the ani does for the balabas, right? That's, that's 
to another Maimer Chazal. So in, in outwardly, the Balabas is the one who's the giver because he gives the food or whatever it is to, to the Ani. But really, the Ani is giving the Balabas a mitzvah, which is <laughs> disproportionately greater than whatever you know, piece of kugel that the, that the, that the Balabas gave to the Ani. Or, um, you know, the classic mushal, classic mushal chassidus is the seed in the ground. The seed is the giver and the, the ground is the recipient, right? If you don't plant a seed in the ground, the ground can't grow things without seeds. But then when you put the seed in the ground, through the ground, the seed becomes something disproportionately greater than it was. What do I mean disproportionately greater? I mean that if you take a seed and just make a bigger seed, 10 times bigger, a million times bigger, it's still just a giant seed. But you put the seed in the ground, it falls apart, and then it regrows and it becomes something completely different than what it was. Not just a bigger seed. It's a tree with fruits that can grow infinite seeds. You know, there's a saying, anybody can count the seeds in an apple. Only Hashem can count the apples in a seed. Because there are infinite apples in every seed. Okay, and human reproduction works the same way, and that's the difference between mommies and tatis. That the koyach ha'ensof is the koyach that is in the isha. And by the way, you could argue about masculinity and femininity as social constructs, right? That's always the question. Well, if you give the little boy a doll and you give the little girl a truck, they'll be just as happy and they're conditioned to, okay, Fine. Social constructs, we, we could always debate whether people were, were conditioned to, into certain gender roles. But, but biology doesn't lie. Okay? And, and as of, at least as of now, you know, it's still the feminine which gives birth. Women are, are mothers. Women have babies. When a woman has a baby, that is an infinite upgrade. Think about it. Imagine you took your money and you put it in a savings account. I know no Jew would do that, but imagine. <laughs> Can you imagine how goyish could you be? You put your money in a savings account, right? <sighs> okay, and you make whatever, you know, 2% interest or whatever it is, okay? But let's say even you invested uh, with Bernie Madoff and you got in on the early, you know, in the early years when he was still Ponzi scheming and you made 50%, right? Okay. Or let's say even, you, you, you know, you, you hit it big, you bought Apple stock in 1983 or whatever it is, and you made a thousand times your investment. That's still proportionate. By proportionate, I mean there's a number times another number that equals the number. Then there's something called disproportionate. It's There's no erich. There's no comparison. When a makabel, a true makabel, receives from a mashpia, what she ends up giving back is not just twice as good, 10 times as good, even a thousand times as good. It's shalei lafi erich. It is disproportionately infinitely greater. So, and we see this with the kaya with the power of birth, that when a woman gives birth, that's called an infinite upgrade. She turns around and she gives you this, this, this human with an ashama and with a smile and with a name and with ramachevarim and it, a complete being. That's called an infinite upgrade. And it's undeniable. It's Pashat Begashmis in biology. So, I don't want to be mighty too much in this. I want to go back to what I was saying. When we say that a mashpia is a giver, 
and a makabel is a recipient. It's not really true because a recipient is also a giver. And in fact, and in fact, a makabel actually is a bigger giver because what she ends up giving back to the mashpia is infinitely greater than what she received. By the way, the six work days in Shabbos are the same way as well. Six work days, you, you, you have to go run and you work and make money and you go shopping and you buy groceries and you cook and you, and you, and you, and you bake. And then you give that to Shabbos. And without, without uh, working on the six days, Shabbos has nothing. Never, she can't even make a cholent for herself, right? It's Friday night and now you want to make a cholent, it's too late. Shabbos can't even make a cholent for herself. But the six days gives Shabbos a cholent. What does she turn it into? She turns it into a spiritual day. It's much more than just potatoes and meat and barley. She turns it into something incomparable. That's the way every Meshbiyam Akabal works. So then the question becomes, and this is really a question for us men. If my whole Metzias as a Meshbiyam is that I'm a giver, and now you just told me that my wife, who's a Makabal, is actually also a giver. And not only is she also a giver, she's an even bigger giver. Then who am I? What am I? And what's a mashpia? It's a good question, huh? You have to understand the dilemma before I can answer it. You have to, you have to understand that. So, and by the way, that dilemma is the male dilemma when you realize that your wife is a bigger giver than you are, and there's nothing you can do about it, it's just true, that's just the way the Abishta made the world, then who am I? She doesn't even need me, and what am I? This is, the, this is like the male identity crisis that we go through. So, 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 so who needs Tati, you know? And, there, and there, there are, I mean, in society today, men are, you know, the value, the worth of men is, is, is marginalized, is minimalized. But we have to have an answer for ourselves. What is our value? What is our worth? Why are we still needed? Why are Tati still needed? Why are husbands still needed? So here's the answer. I won't draw it out too long. I'm not getting paid by the hour. A man is a giver. Mashpia is a giver. Makabal is also a giver. In fact, the Makabal is an even bigger giver because she turns around and she gives back to him with the infinite upgrade. That's all true. But you know what makes him the mashpia? Is that he gives first. He initiates the giving. So you got to put the seed in the ground in order for the ground to turn the seed into a tree. But if you didn't start by putting the seed there, then the ground's got nothing to grow. And the, the student may tell the teacher something greater than what the teacher told the student, but the teacher's got to start and actually teach something to the student in order for the student to repackage it and give it back in an upgraded fashion. And a woman may give birth, but you, you still need a man. And these things are mashal. Let's talk about it as far as emotional energy. There's no question that the emotional energy that a woman gives a man is not only greater, but it's incomparably greater than the emotional energy that a man gives a woman. And we know it's true because she's a keres bias. She fills the home with energy. A man can't fill, you ever been to a bachelor pad? Men cannot fill a home with energy. A woman has a special kayak to fill a home with energy. 
but you want to know the secret? You know why? You want to know why men are still still needed and always will be? Because even though a woman can fill the home with energy and a man can't, where do you think she gets the energy from? The mashpia, the giver, gives first, gives what he can give. The makabel, the woman, receives that. And if she's a good makabel, she fully receives it. She doesn't block it. She doesn't refuse it. She doesn't reject it. We can talk about that in a little bit. Right now, I'm still trying to answer a question from a husband. But if I were speaking to the wives, just the sidebar, we can come back to it. The biggest mistake, Bushy, remind me to come back. The biggest mistake women make is rejecting hashfa and then complaining that there's no hashfa forthcoming. But remind me to come back to that. Let's talk about right now for a man, okay? Because the questioner was a man. Remember this. She's a bigger giver than you are. It's true. She does what you can't do. It's true. But what makes you the man is that you give first. So what does that mean? In Pashita Isis, a man walks through the door, comes home from work. Now, a lot of times the woman also comes home from work. Okay? So it, I'm not talking about traditional gender roles here. I'm talking about something that's an existential reality because it's rooted in the it's that this is how it is this is a spiritual reality it can't be avoided a man walks through the door comes from, from, comes from the, the, the big tough world outside where he was getting beaten up and he walks in the door and the, the one mistake that men make and I, I said we're going to come to the mistake that women make and we're going to give uh, fairness doctrine okay we're going to bash both sides okay but the one big mistake that men make is they walk through the door, having been beaten by the, the world out there, and they expect their wives to mother them. Every man was ruined for marriage by his first relationship with a woman, his mother. He comes through the, I'm saying that half sarcastically, 49% sarcastic, 51% honestly. So he comes to the door and he thinks that his wife is there to take care of him, to baby him. You're making a mistake. Even if she'll do it for you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, why? Because you just turned her into the, to the mashpia. You made her initiate the giving. Don't do it, don't do it. You wanna initiate the giving. So be smart, invest. Like Yidin, Yidin invest, right? Okay. I once saw a bumper sticker. It said, Yoshka saves, Moses invests. Okay. Anyways, you got to invest. You find a good investment. That's like, like a year. Okay. Anyway, men, you walk through the door and instead of coming to your wife and saying, you know, mommy, take care of me, which she may do, but it's, it, it's not, that's like buying retail. Don't do it. It's not a good investment. Come through the door and give her everything you've got, even if it's not much, but just come there and just invest, just Fill her with your emotional energy. And how do you fill her with your emotional energy? It's very simple. Eye contact. How was your day? Talk to me. Let her talk about what she wants to talk about. Just let her, let her connect, okay? In fact, I got to tell you something. It's actually pretty easy because you're supposedly giving, but she does all the talking. So it's actually, it's, <laughs> you could always just like sit back and relax. You know? She'll do the hard work, right? Okay? But she, that's how she feels filled up. That's how she feels attended to, given to. Once you do that, you're done. You're done. The job of a tati, okay, everyone understands what I mean, is not such a big uh, out of it. Now she took the energy you just gave to her and she develops it. That's what we call gestation. 
okay? She develops it. And she, that little energy you gave her when you came through the door, she gives birth to enough Yiddish lichtigkeit und warmkeit to fill your house and your neighborhood and, and the world. And, and don't be intimidated or feel inferior. Wow, look at what the women do. Yes, but they do it because they have a man who comes in and initiates and gives first. So I'm going to put it in 10 seconds. Here's the 10 second version. Give your wife everything you've got, whatever it is, okay? Do it with, you understand what I'm saying? Give first, that means without preconditions. Because if you say, well, when she will do such and such, but then you're never going to start. In fact, that's the opposite of being a mashpia. The whole vort of mashpia is, I'm going to give first. Giving first means without conditions. If you say, well, I'm waiting for certain conditions before I give, that, that, then that's not... You have to come with a prenup, Rabbi Shea. You have to come with a prenup before you start. The prenup is the ksuba. Every day when you come home, you say, I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask you to give me back. But you're saying it as a joke, but people actually, they don't say those words, but that's the kavana they have. And, and it's so, and then everyone wonders why they're frustrated. Because he came home and he took from his wife before he gave. And what ends up happening, you'll get from her, but not nothing compared to what she could give back if you would first, I mean, I, I use the word, allow her to become emotionally pregnant. Is that an okay word to use? Just like this pregnant begashmias, okay? There, there, on a daily basis, there's an emotional pregnancy of giving her an energy that she can develop and give birth to. And it's just so much smarter and it's so much more pleasant for both sides. So here's what I want to say. Yes, you can ask your wife for emotional support. If you've already been the first giver, the unconditional giver, that you already showed her that you're there for her without any conditions, without any, without any uh, you know, expectations. And then you'll end up getting back from her what you gave her, you'll get back from her in an infinitely upgraded fashion. And it'll be so satisfying for you. You'll, it'll, that, that's what you really want. You don't want the energy that you can take from her. That's not what you really, you're a man. You want the energy that she will naturally give back to you after you've filled her up. Wow. How powerful. Okay, let's, let's, uh, we have Baruch live. He wants to ask a question and we'll continue. We're, doing it. We're, we're trying to go a little quicker, Rabbi Tal, because I have, I literally have another 50 questions. Try to cover some ground. Okay. Baruch, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, so my question is as follows. If, if let's say you have an, uh, a firm couple and one of the spouses decides to leave Judaism, mm. should the couple get divorced or should they stay married? So remember I said earlier, don't answer the question, answer the questioner. I, I mean, it totally depends on who these people are. I'd have to know, I'd have to know more. And even with knowing more, it's not something you can just say yes or no. It's, uh, it's, it's complex. Okay, I mean, if you tell me more to go on, I can, you know, I can give you a little more to go on. I think this is a good example, by the way, of like, the more you put in, the more you get out. So if you ask me a very general question, I'm struggling for an answer. But if you give me something to work with, then I can, you know, 
repackage it and give it back to you. Do you want to get a little well, deeper or do you want to just ask him one in general? No, I, I don't have any specific case. Or what about the opposite scenario? You're with, let's say one spouse wants to become crazy from and the other and the other spouse is, just wants to stay regular. So not going off the dash, but the, kind of the contrary. Yeah, but that's the same thing again. The same thing, okay. It's the same thing. There's no hard and fast rule that because somebody became more religious or less religious that a marriage should end. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'll make a statement that 99% of marriages can be saved if both parties are willing to sacrifice. Thank you, thank you. Okay, Rabbi Tav, let's get to more questions. We have so many more over here. Uh, this is a question from a younger couple. We just got married and I was wondering if you can guide us to understand what a healthy relationship is and what can can implement now, what we can implement now so we can get there. They want to grow to the higher level of marriage. Okay. So that's a very impressive question because, you know, most people only ask, <laughs> remember Menachem and Ushi when we were talking about the title we wanted to use, we're like, don't make it too spiritual because nobody cares about it. You know, it's, <laughs> right? So most people only get like really like, interested in something profound when they've had a lot of pain, right? That's just, that's just human nature. When you've been through a lot of pain, a lot of failure, a lot of crisis, all of a sudden, right? That's me, you know, from, from the depths, all of a sudden, you know, uh, you become a Balchova. But these people are a young couple. They don't, you don't even have a crisis. Or you want to, you want to have a more meaningful marriage? Wow. Sadiq and Gamorim here. It's, it's, also so, for, it's also for people who are married 25 years, they're just trying to figure out if you can paint them the picture that they're supposed to see. Uh-huh. What does it look like? What does the Shalom Bias house look like? First of all, I'm going to tell you what it looks like. It looks like kids who are happy to be at home. Okay? So um, if your kids are not happy to be at home, you and your spouse should right away deepen your connection to each other right away. Don't buy a new gadget. Don't, uh, you know, don't rush to, uh, I don't know, whatever. Immediately go off alone with each other and bond deeper. Okay. Also take care of whatever your kids need, but I'm saying number one symptom or sign of, of, of a good marriage that, that people want to be in your home, uh, primarily your own children. They want to be there. If they're always finding excuses to be at somebody else's house, you know, Look within your be mafash fish Okay, look into your own deeds. But uh, what is what is the what is the the shalom bayis marriage look like? It looks like constant sacrifice. It looks like two people who are truly avdei Hashem, who are looking to do the spiritual thing, the right thing, the big thing not what feels good. You know, we have a big problem today that people go and seek advice and sometimes they get the wrong advice and that advice tells them, do what makes you feel good, do what works for you. And it's a cruel lie because it causes, it doesn't deliver happiness 
A, a selfish life doesn't deliver happiness. A human being can't be, can't be happy. Like I said at the very beginning, does it even make sense that we were put here for ourselves? Obviously, we were sent here for a mission greater than ourselves. So it can't make me happy just to be here for myself. I have to be here for something bigger. And marriage is my opportunity to outgrow myself. Out, out, marriage is the opportunity to cut down the cedar, like I was saying the muscle before. So the Shalom Bias marriage, what does it look like? These young couple, they're asking, what does it look like? What does it look like? It looks like two people who constantly want to make room for each other, who constantly want to do whatever will help the other person grow. And I want to tell you something. That's the ideal. That's the ideal. Sometimes the ideal isn't the reality. Sometimes only one person is doing it for the other. Sometimes they trade off. Sometimes one person does it for years and the other person is still stuck in their issues. Usually stuff they picked up from their parents' bad marriage. And, and the, the other person, the other spouse is incapable of sacrificing for a while. And, you know, I, I, I'll say it like this, your spouse isn't another person that you have to learn how to get along with. Your spouse is you. And just like we need to learn to be gentle with ourselves and tolerant of ourselves and respectful of our own growth process, time takes time. We have to be gentle with our spouses. We have to be respectful of their growth process. And sometimes a growth process takes years. We've all been through all types of trauma. You know, it, it doesn't take a day, it takes years. And so what's the difference if I'm sacrificing for you or you're sacrificing for me? We're one person. We're one person. What, is it, what do you think it means finding your, your zivug, your match, the other half of your soul? It means you're one person. So it, in the end, you're not doing something for another. This is not an other. No, Odom and Chava originally were one person. And the Abish just split them up and said, get back together and become one flesh. Why did the Abish do that? If he wanted them to be one, they were one. He should have left it. If he wanted them to be two, then after he split them, he should have told them now become one again. You know why the Abish did that? Because he put his biography into us. That's his story. That's, that's Hashem's story. Before he created the world, there was nothing but him. And then he made the world, and there was an other. And then he said to his creation, really, Hashem Aleikeinu Hashem Echod. Echod is oneness. The Ebeshter is not more creator than creation. Creator and creation are both Echod, oneness. And that's the same thing with marriage. It's not a husband and a wife. It's echot, it's oneness. So what does it matter who's the one who's being mevate this time or that time or in this lifetime or in that lifetime? It's all for the sake of the, of, of, of the oneness. And, and I think, here, uh, this is the last word, I'll say this when we go to the next question. When we prepare young people for marriage, we need to tell them this is the most powerful spiritual growth experience in the world. 
There's nothing like marriage to force you to become a spiritual person. It will force you to let go of your ego and to live for something greater than yourself. And we should tell them that's what it is. Don't lie to them and tell them, you know, they think I'm going to get married and this is going to enhance my existence. No, it's not going to enhance your existence. You want to know what enhances your existence? Stay single, make a lot of money, have fun, do what you like to do. That will enhance your existence. Marriage is about surrendering your existence so that you can be part of something much bigger, which is really, that's what Yiddishkeit is about. We're here to be part of the Abishtha's plan. Question is, will they understand yeah. when you tell them that? Will they understand what you're talking about? Probably not, which is why we need to follow any class like this with serious follow-up and both husband and wife on their own as well as together need to have a program of Avedas Hashem in their life, which involves serious learning, learning panemius hatayra, learning spiritual concepts, of course. Of course, we need to have marriage institutes that not only train a bride and a groom, but are there for couples who are married for 20, 30, 40 years. Of course we do. Right. And that takes us to the next question, really, what you're saying, listening, how you say it, really sounds profound and beautiful. The question is, there are so many out there who are struggling. With, you know, I'll just read the next question. My relationship with my husband is spiraling downward. He's very closed up, full of negative emotions about many things that are going on in our life. I find myself getting triggered by his behavior every time we interact. What can I do to turn things around from my side so that I should, I should be able to look at him from a positive point of view? First of all, that question 95% answers itself because that's a wise question because she already said she knows she's got to turn herself around and she already knows how she needs to turn herself around. She needs to change how she sees her husband and see him more positively. So, by the way, you know the whole genius of that column, which is not genius at all? You know the trick? Anybody can do it. I'll tell you the trick and just take it over from me. Please, take it away from me. I don't want to write it. It's eight years. I'm telling you the trick. It's simple. It's simple. Everybody answers their own question. You just have to find their answer, put some pretty words on it, some some Maimori Chazal with Maimori Chazal, and you throw it back at them, and they're like, that's so profound. Of course you think it's profound. It's your words. So that question right there. They love to read it. They love what? to read it after you put in those fancy words. They love reading it. <laughs> they always say, he gets me. He really gets me. Because <laughs> I'm just reading what you wrote me and put, okay. By the way, I got this whole approach from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe used to answer letters. He would often write on your letter, like circle words or underline words, and basically rearrange your own letter and send it back to you. So you would send it as a question, he'd send it back to you as an answer. Anyways, so this lady, she's 95% answering the question. She knows she's triggered by her husband, what's the problem? Not to get him to act differently, she's gotta act differently, right? I'll tell you by the way, it's a side point. I was one time in a, in a previous lifetime, I was working at a nonprofit and they brought in a, a time management coach and they had this eight hour all day time management seminar, which I thought was a big waste of time, ironically enough. 
Anyways, <clears throat> the guy says, everyone write down a piece of paper, your definition of time management and hand it in. So we all write it down and we hand it in. And he takes it and he's like, you're all wrong. I'm like, you got to read it first. He's like, no, you're all wrong. Well, why'd you, we're all wrong. Why'd you make us fill out the paper? He's like, because I wanted you to learn. There's no such thing as time management. Time goes as fast or as slow as it always goes. You can't speed it up or slow it down. There's no such thing as time management. There's self-management. You can manage yourself and your relationship with time. So then he spoke for eight hours, which was a big waste of time. But that one opening vort, I took that with me for 20 years. And what, what is the vort? You talk about Shalom Bias, the Marshall. And people think, what is Shalom Bias? Spouse management. I'm going to learn how to manage my spouse because this spouse of mine is being unreasonable. And if I could just get him or her to listen and, you know, be reasonable, then we would have shalom. And it's not spouse management. You can't manage your spouse. It's self-management. It's managing your relationship with your spouse. So, this lady is asking the question the smart way, the right way. How can she manage herself to have a breakthrough in this area where her husband, specifically she mentioned his negativity. His negativity is triggering her. Okay, I hear, I hear. Okay, so remember what I mentioned earlier? I said, remind me if I don't get back to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind myself now. I said the biggest mistake that men make is walking through the door and, and taking from their wife before they give. Okay, so, and then I said the biggest mistake, you remember what I said the biggest mistake women make? You didn't, you didn't, they don't want to take. They don't want to take, okay. So here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna say. First hakdama is no woman and no human being for that matter ever needs to receive anything that feels violating or unsafe. Okay, so I want to make sure that's very, very clear. You don't have to receive abuse. You don't have to receive insults. You don't have to receive disrespect. And you should. So I just want to make sure that's very clear first. Up front. But let's say we're, we're not talking about something that's abusive. We're just talking about something you don't like. Um, you know, like somebody bought you a present you don't like. Or somebody wanted to take you on a vacation and you weren't interested in the particular destination. Or they suggested a restaurant and you didn't want to go there, right? <clears throat> Here's the thing that you have to understand. Women, I'm speaking to the women right now. <clears throat> Here's the thing you have to understand about a man. He is a mashpia, he is a giver. I'm going to tell something to the women that they'll be able to relate to in a mashpia because it's an area where women are the mashpia. There's a maimir chazal that more than the calf wants to suck from the mother cow, the mother cow wants to nurse the calf. More than the recipient wants to receive, the giver wants to give. See, a recipient who doesn't receive is just sort of bored. But a giver who's unable to give is deeply frustrated. Recipient who doesn't receive is just bored, like there's nothing to receive, right? But a giver who has what to give and has nowhere to give it is deeply disturbed and frustrated. The problem is 
that a man will attempt to be a giver. By a giver, I'm not talking about materially, like bringing home a paycheck. Or I'm talking about emotional energy here. Okay, emotional energy, we give emotional energy all types of ways. There are all types of transactions that happen thousands of times a day. Emotional energy, you know, transactions. You know, when I give you eye contact, that's a transaction. When I speak to you, that's a transaction. When I ask you, hey, you want to take a walk? That's a big transaction. Then we go take the walk, right? That's another transaction. Even asking you to go take a walk is a transaction, right? So one of the mistakes that women make is the man offers some energy and the woman turns it down. Now, I'm not talking, I'm going to repeat my Hagdama again. I'm going to repeat it. I'm not talking about a case where what the man is offering is disrespectful or violating or unsafe. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he had a dumb idea, like men have dumb ideas. I'm going to admit it, we have dumb ideas. We say, hey, let's take the kids on a trip to, you know, whatever. I don't know. And it's just not shy, right? Whatever idea, just men, whatever idea we have, where to go for Cholamite, it's going to be the wrong idea. I know. It was a, it's the wrong idea. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say to the women now, you want to be right or you want to be happy. Take his idea so he knows you're receiving from him. And you know you're going to develop it like a real macabre does anyway. You're going to take whatever he gave you and you're going to infinitely upgrade it anyway. So whatever dumb idea he gives you, you're going to upgrade it anyway. Don't shut down his idea and replace it with your idea. That's not satisfying for you. You don't want to be the giver. You want to be the recipient. And the recipient means giving back something after you were given to. So a lot of times women frustrate themselves because Baruch Hashem today women are so competent and a lot of them make money. And so they, they think to themselves, what do I need this guy for, right? And they shut down the giver in the man by saying, you know, no, you know, it's not a good idea. No, it's not what I want to do. No. Okay, you know what, women, you may be right. And again, I'm going to say for a third time, I'm not talking about where what he wants to give you is disrespectful or unsafe. Okay, that's for sure. I'm talking about where he, he's offering something. You know, he walks through the door and he thinks that you want to hear about the fight he's having with some nudnik in the office when you're trying to make dinner. Okay? Or, you know, whatever. I'm just making stuff up. Or he walks in, you know, you're trying to get Shabbos ready. It's five minutes before Lichten, and he says, I heard a Gavalda Kavort. And you're like, please, you save your Gavalda Kavort for the Shabbos tish, okay? But the Shabbos tish, you never speak. And now, five minutes before Lichten, you tell me your Gavalda Kavort, please, you know. Here's what I want to tell you just have Rechmonas. You want to receive from him, you want to get the good stuff from him, then drink in, absorb. Take in what he's giving now. Because the nature of a giver is the more they give, the more they have to give. Like nursing. Women, you know this. When the baby wings, you, you, you stop making milk. When a man has no place to give hashpah, he becomes, like you see, the men who don't have hashpah to give anymore. They've been neutralized. They've been shut down because what they had to offer wasn't accepted. So that's it, okay. Okay, so fine. So I have nothing, I have no voice, I have nothing to offer. And then the women have the taina. 
he doesn't give me anything. Okay, well, he was shut down as a giver. So here's what I'm saying. You have to, you have to be willing to receive with a smile and with a geschmack a lot of mediocre hashpa in order to get to the good hashpa. And I'm going to say for a fourth time, I'm not talking about accepting abuse or disrespect. But I'm saying, when he comes to you, something annoying, like five minutes before Lichten, you're trying to put the kugel in the oven, he wants to tell you the Gavaldic of Orton. It's just so not shy right now. It's so worth it, ladies, just to stop and say, tell me your vort. I would love to hear it. And pretend you liked it and say, that's so great. And you told it so well, too. What will happen? He'll open, the flow will open. The flow will open. He'll have more to give. And he'll give more and more and more. And anything you do more, you get better at. And you're going to get more of the hashpah that you want. So just, you know, drink it in and he'll make more. And eventually he'll get better and he'll get more practice and he'll give you exactly what you want. And you'll find it, here's the thing, you'll find it so much more deeply satisfying when he gives to you than when you go and do it yourself. And I know, ladies, you're so competent today, you can do it yourself. But don't, don't make that mistake. Allow him to give it to you. Then, of course, in your true feminine way, whatever he gave you, upgrade it. Of course, upgrade it, right? Tell him back the vor with, with a chiddush. <laughs> but uh, that's what my wife does to me. But, okay, you get the point. You get what I'm saying, okay. Let's go, let's go. We have a lot more questions, let's go. Okay, okay. so we covered both sides. Let's go. Um... This is, uh, from the other side. this is the question from the other side. I've been through different life experiences and have a very hard time expressing my emotions. My husband tells me it's very hard to connect with me. I don't like to talk unless it's about things that need to get done in the house. What can I do about it? And what would you suggest to my husband in this case? Okay. So first of all, I'm not going to suggest anything to your husband because he's he didn't ask. <laughs> he didn't ask. That's number that's number one rule. Okay. Help him. Help him out. You, you can't help him unless he's asking. So, uh, but she. It's interesting because you see, by the way, how gender stereotypes are not always true. What she described there is a typical male like personality. Like, I don't like to open up. I'm very closed off. I don't like to talk about anything unless it's practical, like in Yone bias. That's usually like a, a complaint a woman has about a man. In this case, she's like that. Okay. And that's, there are all types. There are all types of people. You can't, even with everything I've been saying about male and female, obviously there's a spectrum. It's a real thing. I mean, obviously we all have femininity and masculinity within us. And, you know, and by the way, there are some men who are more feminine than their wives. There are, it happens. Right, I just want to, I want to jump in over here because I'm getting a few of these yeah. right coming in. They're saying also the other way around that the woman is saying that they have one partner that has no interest in improving. It's so self-absorbed and they want to have no connection. So it's, let, let's try to answer for men and women. I, even though there might be these other questions. Okay. Well, I, I think it's I have one to, answer. I, I have to answer. I think there's two answers because I do two think answers. to a certain extent it is gender specific. No. There are certain things that are, you know, uh, all around, but uh, certain things that are gender specific. Okay. Um, it's like when you go to the, 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 the eyeglass store and you get the frames, you say, is that the, those are women's glasses? No, they're not women's glasses for men or women's for everyone. One size fits all. One size fits all. And then you see the picture and it's a lady wearing the glass. You sold it. 
and he already cut the lenses. Uh, okay. Anyway, you know the place I'm talking about. Okay. I don't go there anymore. Okay. Anyway, it's not in Lakewood. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, what we're, we were we were talking about glasses. What were we were talking about tonight? About addiction. You said you wanted to talk about that. Tonight, addiction. Right? That's right. I told you I really wanted to talk tonight about addiction. That's right. Okay. So, anyways, the question was about this woman who's kind of shut down. Not so first of all, look, I know nothing about this woman other than um, that two lines or whatever. But you know, I would ask a question: Do you know why you're that way? And, and not because I'm being sexist and I'm saying, well, how could a woman be closed off? Okay, maybe she's just that way. But I'm saying the fact that you don't even have a desire to, to bond, I, I, would, I would ask, you know why you're that way? And look, I'm not making things up about people. So I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna suggest you go find out if it's true. You know, if, if the hat fits, good. If not, then you'll, you'll, you'll forgive me for even suggesting it. I mean, is there trauma? You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, it's not my, it's not my thing to figure that out or not. But maybe you want to look into that because if there's something that's preventing you from feeling safe now, like, why don't you feel safe now? I mean, if your husband, is, is your husband safe now? If he's not, you know, that's the, that's the problem. But if he is and you're not opening, why don't you feel safe now? Is it because of the time you felt unsafe in the past? Okay. And, and, and if that's the case, then do your husband a favor and do your children a favor and go look into that. Go look into that. Um, that, that's one thing I'll say. Um, the other thing is, I mean, this woman is asking, she, she wants to open up more. I mean, let me hear the question again. She wants to. Question was a man felt that they couldn't connect to the wife. She shut down. But the, 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 the questions I'm getting is the husband has zero connection. doesn't care to communicate. Doesn't oh, care. To... But the question Menachem asked me was from a woman. And what can I do about it? Live texts. Right. You're getting from from yeah, and I said that at the beginning that typically there's a question that men that women have about men. Okay, fine, yeah, disproportionately more. I would say ten times more women have this complaint about their husband than husbands. We have found this that one guy. He emailed us. The one guy emailed. Okay, that's how it always works. Okay, um, look, let let's answer the women. Let's answer the women who are asking about the closed off husband. First of all, you have to understand. I'm get, now, when you ask me a question from from ten people, you know automatically you're not getting a tailor-made answer. This is not bespoke. You're getting something off the rack. Okay. If you want a question, if you want an answer to a question from ten people, that's like you know you're going to TJ Maxx, you're buying a coat off the rack. Ten people could wear this coat. So do not ask for real super depth here. This is I'm speaking. This is a general program. We always have, maybe I didn't preface it. This is these general, these are general questions. This is not for anybody's personal therapy. This is not, you know, if anybody, you know, this, you need therapy, there's, there's people that do therapy and people need coaching. There is coaching. This is a general topics. We're trying to touch on the, uh, on the surface of it, get a concept and then right. take it to the next level with our rub, with our, our people. This is not to answer anybody specific. You know, I, my husband has this and I, you know, 17 different questions and scenarios. It's a general question. The husband doesn't want to connect. The wife doesn't connect. Whether the right. husband suffers over his parnasa, he suffers over something else, the wife is busy with the kids, she's shut down, whatever the reason is, the general global problem. Right. Okay. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And yeah, 
a show like this, we can only speak in generalities. You know, this is speaking about the Inyanim, and if people need personal attention, they should reach out to a professional. They could call Coach Menachem or somebody who can give them a personalized guidance. Okay, fine. Thank you for that very important disclaimer. But women who are complaining that their husband's closed off or they even use the word self-obsessed or you know, self-absorbed. Okay, so let's let's just assume we're not talking about something that's like on a an extreme dysfunctional, like you know, somebody who. And I'm not going to use clinical terms because, again, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I don't want to use the terms, the buzzwords that everyone uses, which are actually clinical diagnostic terms, and I'm not going to even use them. And you know what words I'm talking about. But let's just talk about. You know, what, what we, 20 years ago, we just used to call it a selfish person, right? Now we have fancy terms for it. I'm not going to use those terms. I'm a rabbi. I'm not using those terms. Anyways, but let's say a person has a real serious issue, like very, very, like pathologically self-absorbed. That, that's another issue altogether. And I, and, I, and I guess here's the time and the place to say there are people. I'm going to say this, and I don't know how well this is going to go on. There are people who are married to people who are extremely broken people who are very ill-suited for marriage and will probably never be fulfilling partners. And I mean, I, 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 how common is it? Common enough, common enough. I, I, uh, doesn't matter. The point is, it exists. And I'm sure there's people listening right now who are in a situation where their spouse is a person who is really, barring some miracle, is not going to be someone who's going to be able to be very suited for, for marriage. And that happens. And obviously, in those cases, you know, people do look into the option of, you know, ending the marriage. What I would say is, even in those cases, I don't think I would advise this because I can't take that responsibility, but I would just state as a Matthias that when people make a choice, a choice, a choice, okay, and we spoke about this before, self-sacrifice is self-sacrifice. I sacrifice myself from a place of dignity and self-respect. I make a decision. There are people who do make the decision to live with a deeply, deeply dysfunctional spouse and they are successful. Successful in what? Successful in having a home where the Shekhinah can rest and children who are happy. And I call that a success. And I, and I laud those people who make that decision. And also people who make the decision that that's not what they want. Okay, that's also, that's also a decision. That was a side point. Setting aside, you're dealing with someone who's deeply, deeply dysfunctional. And they're just, let's say, moderately dysfunctional. Like, like all of us. You know the, the clout, by the way. The reason why we're all here is we're all not 100% there. <laughs> we're all here because we're not all, that's right, because we're all not 100% there. There's a clout. There are two kinds of people in this world. Normal people and people that you really know. <laughs> so once you get to know anyone, you realize that they're messed up too. That's why you try, you were making shidduchim. You're always like, no, not, not that family. No, not that family. They're, oh, they're good. Oh, the ones from Australia. Yeah, they sound good. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, 
somebody who's very self-absorbed. So here, here's the clout. I'm going to say it to women. Sometimes men, particularly, I'm saying, you know, in a, in a uh, gender-specific way now, sometimes men appear to be self-absorbed because the way that we interact is not the same way that women interact. You know, going back to the whole mashpia, makabal thing, I'm going to get Kabbalistic for a second. Yeah, okay. What do you want from me? This is what I like. This is what I... Re if you really let me talk about what I... I would open up a Maimer this and that's it. We learned Basi Lagani or Elo. We would learn Ani Ladeidu, Nadi Li, Nal Terebe from Teda Ayer. That's what we From Lukut Teda. That's what we learned. Anyways, one of the things about Mashpia Makabal and Ruchnias in Spheros, so you're talking about Spheros now, is that the mashpia is Zav, six emotional energies of Atsilos. Those are the powers that, the energies that create the universe. And then there's the femininity, which is makab, the makabal, Malchus. Malchus receives those energies and then gives birth to reality. Another term for those two energies, masculine and feminine, is Kutshebrichu and Shchimte. And by the way, we say it every we say Shem Yichud Kuchibrichu Shinte. What's the Shem Yichud Kuchibrichu? The Yichud, the marriage of Kuchibrichu and Shinte. Kuchibrichu is the masculine. Shinte, Shina is, is the feminine. What's Kuchibrichu? It's Aramaic. HaKadish Baruchu. Kaddish, the word Kaddish, we translate it clumsily as holy. Kaddish means moved on, upgetrocked, separate removed. The, the very nature of Kuchabrihu is he doesn't want to have to do with Ulamais, with created worlds. The male energy in Atsilos, in the, in the spiritual realms, wants to stay up there. It's not interested in creating. Then Malchus, the feminine sphere, pulls him down so that he unites with her. She becomes pregnant with that energy and gives birth to Ulamais, to worlds. So this is what's happening in the spiritual worlds, that the, that the masculine energy wants to fly up and the femininity tries to pull it down so that something can be born from their union. Not even a view. There are a lot of things Amadish says about why their souls popped out when they went into Kedush HaGadoshim. You want to know one of the reasons? Because they were Bachram, they never got married. That's why a kain gadol, right? It's a Mishnah. Kain gadol has to have a wife. Why does he have to have a wife? Because if he wouldn't, he'd be like none of an avir. We'd go in Kedush Gadash, we'd never come back. Because the femininity wouldn't be there to draw him back, to, to anchor him, to pull him back into to, to the world. You know, Dalad Nichnas Elapardes, the four Tanoyim, it says in the, 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 the Braisa and Chagiga about the, the four Chachomim that went into the Pardes. And, and they all got messed up, except for Rebbe Kiva, right? So what happened to uh, Ben, uh, ben Zayma? Was it Ben Zayma or Ben, ben Azai? Right? Rebbe Kiva, Nichus Bishalom, Yotz Bishalom. Acher, he became a heretic. Then uh, Ben Zayma went crazy. Ben Azai, his soul flew out, never came back. Why? Because he was a bacher. He never got married. 
It's the same vort. The point is, the male spiritual energy wants to go away. The feminine spiritual energy draws it down. So you have to understand, to some extent, you are playing tug of war. That's why, by the way, a chosin, what's a chosin? Chosin is Moloshin Nechus Dargen. Let's go down a level. Kala is Moloshin Kleis Hanefesh. The soul flies up. Why? Because in order for them to get together, the chosin has to go down, the kala has to come up, and then they meet in the middle, which is, by the way, Matan Taira, the ultimate chosin and kala, Hashem and the Jewish people, right? The Maila came to the Mata, the Mata came up to the Maila. So here's the thing for when to understand. He's not a girl. His nature is like the flame flickering upward. And you have to draw him down. But here's the good news. And I'll wrap up and we're going to take other questions. The good news is like this. There's one thing that can pull masculine energy into the world. There's one thing that is absolutely magnetic that captures masculine energy and makes it take, take a 180 turn, a U-turn. Because think about it. His whole teva is a tenua of halo, of going up. So to get him to turn around and come into this world is a 180. You know what the power is, though, that can make masculinity take a 180 turn and come, come down? Femininity. Your femininity. That means being a true macabre in every sense, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, everything. Your femininity will draw him down to this world. So use the, 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 use the, 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 the nature that you were given as a woman, but realize that what you're accomplishing is push. It's a miracle because it's a reversal of his nature. And, and it's a process. And, and, and also don't feel like you accomplish nothing when you start all over every day. Because remember, his teva is to fly away. So he's always going to revert to the factory settings of flying away. And you're going to have to draw him back down again. But you have the feminine power to do that. Okay, Rabbi Tav, um, we have a lot of questions. I'm sorry for everybody who couldn't get to your questions. Uh, we don't have all night. Um, but Rabbi Tal has to go soon. Um, we have one question that I saved for the end because I think it's a very powerful question. And I have one person that wants to ask live. I don't know if they're ready yet. Are you on? Hello? Yes. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. You're the last question. Um, the last live question for tonight. If a spouse takes on the opposite gender's role because the spouse just is not interested in fulfilling their, that role, for example, let's say a wife is working, uh, so then the husband has to take care of the kids and ends up cooking and cleaning, and the wife is not helpful. So uh, the husband, let's say, takes on the wife's role, um, or vice versa, where the husband is working, so then the wife becomes, you know, building the sukkah, or barbecuing, or changing light bulbs, and things that are more manly. So, but then there's resentment because, you know, you, you want to be the role that you're supposed to be, but it's not being fulfilled. So then what? Okay. So here's what I'm going to tell you. 
masculinity is not changing light bulbs and femininity is not changing diapers. I think you're getting caught up in the external trappings and the chitzenias. Masculinity and femininity are, are energies. So in other words, what I'm saying is it's not what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. Yes, it happens to be there are certain traditional roles. Okay, yeah, that's true. But uh, first of all, I, can I make a social commentary here? Can I go on my soapbox for a second? All yours. All mine, okay. Because this, everybody left anyways, because it was only supposed to go till 11 anyway. So I could say whatever I want. It's missing the last question. They're gonna come back, they're gonna wish they, they listened to the last question. That, I always wait, you know, when, when the mic is off, that's when you get controversial. The mic's off, right? You're not recording now, is you, right? Not, not, not even hype, hot, hot, what do they call it, hot mic? Hot mic, hot mic, okay. I think it's funny that the Frum community, for all its supposed championing, championing of traditional gender roles and supposedly rejecting how society has ignored gender roles, but it's such a from thing for a man not to work and a woman to work. I just think it's funny. So anyways, that I'm off my soapbox now. Um, but the question is, you know, what about traditional roles? And look, in a lot of homes, Okay, I'm getting, hold on a second. I'm getting back on my soapbox for a second. You wanna know something? The fact that we're two income families is to a large degree a manufactured crisis. We live lifestyles which are unsustainable. We think that we're supposed to be able to afford things we cannot afford. And we've forced ourselves, forced ourselves into having, needing two incomes and three incomes because of the lifestyle we're trying to lead. Are we spiritual people? Are we not? And okay, that's it. So off the, off the soapbox. Anyways, but yeah, in a lot of these families, women are out making money. And the women are making more money than the man. Because, you know, what, what's the man doing? You know, he doesn't have a degree. She has a degree, right? So he's got whatever job he can get because, you know, his cousin or his brother-in-law or his buddies had a business and they needed a, a shipping manager. And so he got a job, right? And, you know, she is, she's a physical therapist and right out the gate, she's making good money, right? Okay, so we have this issue in a lot of our homes where if you want to talk about traditional, what defines traditional gender roles, you already lost coming out the gate. You already lost coming out the gate. So I think you have to stop for a second and say, that is not what defines the gender role. Like I said, changing light bulbs is not masculinity and changing diapers is not femininity. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. Gender roles are primarily talking about emotional energy. Like I was talking about before. Who's the man and who's the woman? You know who the man is? The one who comes through the door and get, is the first to be emotionally giving. That's the man. 
It doesn't matter. She also came through the door and she made more money today than he did. Irrelevant. That's not, that's not what defines male and female. What defines male and female is that he's the one who initiates and that she's the one who, to, to the greatest extent possible, tries to receive every drop of hashpa. If he's giving it, she's taking it so that he'll make more. That's masculine and feminine. Are we ready for the final question of the night? We'll go to closing. Yeah. Okay, guys. Twelve o'clock. That's when it get. That's when the program gets warmed up. Okay. How late did Rabashkin go? Wow! Wow! No, I know. It was, a, it was an innocent question. I just wanted Rabashkin to know. went to uh, Rabashkin. If I didn't stop him, would have went till the next day in the morning. Uh, Baruch Hashem, we stopped it at a little bit before one o'clock. But uh, you're not Rabashkin. He's coming from different energy. He's coming from different energy. Different energy. Okay, so the question is as follows. Um, my question is about divorce. What is the Torah's perspective, and it is, ever, it is, is it ever recommended? If a spouse becomes sick with serious mental illness, are they suppo supposed to sacrifice for their spouse and be there for them? Obviously, everything is bashert, so they are supposed to just keep accept. I'm imagining it as if a case of someone whose spouse suddenly got diagnosed with ALS, or there's some hashkafa that your happiness is important. Very powerful question, Rabbi Daba. I'm, I'm gonna leave this one for you. Okay, all right. You wanna take one? You didn't take one question yet. Um, I didn't take one question, because tonight's a little bit uh, not my, my topic. I like to deal with, you know, other stuff. This is, I'll leave for you. Okay. I deal with the addiction part. Perfect, okay. So to a large degree, we touched upon this already. So maybe this will be Chazara. No questions about divorce. People texted me during the thing. I'm just going to mention their questions. They were married to somebody and the person had a stroke and the life situation changed. So it's a more, there's a big general thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned before that some people are married to people who are not going to be very functional spouses. And even then, even then, it is possible to be successful in such a marriage, depending on how you define success, obviously. You know, there's a word. It says, Chazal say, that when a couple gets divorced, the Mizbeach is Yerid Demois, it's crying. Why the Mizbeach? Why not the Menaida? Why not the Shulchan? So this is where we started. This is what the first vort I said from the evening about Akeda. Akeda is second fiddle. The real Mesiris Nafish is marriage. Marriage is sacrifice. So why is it the Mizbeach that cries at a divorce? Because the Mizbeach is where you make a sacrifice. So the crying is the loss of the opportunity for sacrifice. Now, sometimes it's possible, and this is what I haven't said yet, so I'll say it now, that the sacrifice will destroy the person. And when I say it will destroy the person, what I mean is you, you came to this world to accomplish something. And it could be that your neshama came to this world to accomplish having peace in your home, even with a dysfunctional partner. 
Could be. But if you're not accomplishing that, and not only you're not accomplishing that, but being farnumen, being preoccupied with that has caused you now to not accomplish the rest of your shlichus in this world. That's when it's time to say that it may not, that even though the Mizbech will cry because of the loss of the opportunity for sacrifice, you may have to say, this is a sacrifice that I'm not able to make because the reality is it is undermining my ability to serve Hashem. Now, if, you, if you're in a situation where you can be a saint and you can say, I'm going to be Mavater, I already accepted that this is, I'm not, my, I'm not getting a conventional fulfillment or satisfaction out of my marriage, okay? I accept that and I'm here to just, this is my way of serving Hashem and you're able to do that and you're able to be functional and happy and have a life outside of your marriage and, and to, to, to have a good sense of self-esteem, you could do all that. Then if somebody wants to stay with a spouse who is you know, not a functional spouse, I wouldn't tell them to, that, 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 that they're, that they're, I certainly wouldn't tell them they're a fool. Now, somebody who says, I can't leave, right? Anyone, anytime someone says, I can't, I can't, it's impossible, I can't, then I get concerned. Well, you can't. And in fact, if you can't leave, then you can't stay. Because if you can't leave, you're not really staying. You just, by default, you're there because you're unable to leave. But if you can leave, you say, no, I could leave. My life wouldn't fall apart, but I'm choosing to stay. Now you're really staying. This touches upon another thing. I think, you know, we didn't speak about it and I really want to touch upon it. I said before about, we don't make sacrifices to people, we make sacrifices to Hashem. This a little bit touches on the addiction stuff, but it's, it's, it's more than that too. There is a concept of a codependent. They say, what's the last thing a codependent sees before he dies? Somebody else's life flashes before his eyes, okay? So sometimes there are codependent relationships and that means you're addicted to the person. And generally, what are you addicted to? The approval or the promise of approval. Sometimes they're not even giving the approval. You know about the, the there was a Rav once who went uh, deaf. And they asked him, why did you go deaf? He said, because of all the sheikh. And they said, sheikh makes you go blind, not deaf. He says, well, I heard the promises. I never saw the money. So... Sometimes we hear the promise of approval. We never even see the approval. It doesn't even happen. But we're still, you know, we're, it's like, you know, the guy who's gambling and he can't leave the slot machine because maybe, maybe I'm going to, so I'll have to go to the ATM and, and I gamble more because I can't walk away. I can't walk. Okay. When somebody is trying to get something from another human being that no human being can give them, that's a problem. And what am I speaking about? I'm speaking about your right to exist. Your right to exist cannot be granted to you by any human being. In other words, the fact that you are worthy and you have value and, you're, and you belong here is not given to you because some person loves you or cares for you. However, when we're, we have a broken sense of self-worth, 
We try to get it from another person, often from a spouse. And that's not a marriage. That's not an intimate relationship. It's not two people genuinely bonding. It's one person using the other. I'm using you for you to give me the approval that makes me feel like I have permission to exist. And the reason it's so deeply unsatisfying is because ultimately I can't get permission to exist from you because it's not your permission to give me. Hashem gives me permission to exist. Every morning I wake up and I say, Maidani, Hashem, I am made that you put me here. You have a job for me. I am worthy because you put me here. And now I don't need validation from human beings. So I just want to make sure this is very well understood. Sometimes people can't leave a dysfunctional relationship because they feel like they need to get the validation from the, this other person. And I'm telling you, you will never get that satisfaction you seek because you're trying to get a human being to give you something that no human being can give. So what do I suggest? Go back to your relationship with Hashem. Find your validation. Find your, 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 your inner worth in your relationship with Hashem. And then from a place of dignity and self-respect, then make a decision about self-sacrifice in your marriage. Thank you, Rabbi Tab, for coming on tonight. It was an unbelievable program. Um, in so many hundreds of people that were here and thousands that will see the video. And uh, we had big numbers here tonight, even being uh, middle of the summer where everybody's on vacation. Um, it was tremendous chizik, and I think we actually picked the right title after listening to the shir tonight. Uh, I definitely didn't think this is what sacrifice is. Had a whole different concept. So I really appreciate you coming on. Again, I just want to sort of repeat some of the things we said in the beginning. Rabbi Tao came out with a second book, Ami Letters, Volume 2. The topics will include faith and belief, emotional well-being, friends and community, mem family matters, kibbutz aim, work and finances. So normally the book is sold in all stores for $24.95. Tonight he's uh, pre-selling it. If anybody wants to go to his website, Soul Worlds, soulwords.org. Um, it's $20 with free shipping. So hop around, grab the book. It's an amazing book. I didn't read it yet. The first one I was really good. It's, it's a hot seller. Everybody has it. So uh, thank you, first of all, for, for, for making that for everybody. I really appreciate it. Uh, again, Rabbi Tabo tell everybody you can go to soulwords.org. Um, check out the site. He has all his amazing videos. The Shiurim. Um, you know, he has uh, lectures on Tanya, Shara B'Tochen, Weekly Parsha, Yom, Yom Tovim, all, all sorts of different topics. Please go there. Rabbi Tabo, we're going to send you the video. I don't know if you could put up the video on the site. I think this was a very good session tonight. Again, everybody watching tonight, we touched on one specific topic. We really, it was, it was a tip of the iceberg. This goes a lot deeper. Rabbi Tabo, we could have spoke, spoke about this all night. Um, it was it was really deep and uh, take it to the next level again. Uh, let's talk about next week's program is going to be Judge Dan Butler, a criminal criminal court judge in Pittsburgh. A truly incredible person, true inspiration. Anybody who knows anybody that has special needs kids or sick children should definitely come on to the program next week. This person went through tremendous amounts, tremendous hushra person, and has real simchaim. And he wants everybody to tune in and learn how to not only go through hardships but actually to be happy in very hard life situations talking from his own personal experiences. Um, everything here tonight is recorded and it's going to be on www.menachembernfeld.com. And if you have any questions, please reach out to Menachem at coachmenachem at, at gmail.com. Again, Rabbi Taub, to reiterate, do not reach out to Rabbi Taub for therapy. He's not a therapist. Do not reach out for Taub for coaching. He's not a coach. Need a coach? I think I know one. He's on the program. Rabbi Taub is a, is a speaker, is a lecturer. If you want to bring him in to discuss something, that's what he does. So, um, I hope he doesn't get overwhelmed. Again, tonight is shear number 20. If anybody wants to hear this shear on the phone, please call the number 
924-8464. Option four is going to have all the shirim that we have. Again, tonight's share was Zecha Nishmas, my good friend, Anech Fried, his mother, Ziyartzeit tonight, Chaya Leia Bas Reb David. Ziyartzeit is tonight, and there's so much of a big aliyah, Rabbi Tav. Mechazek, so many hundreds of people, and that's thousands of people. Mishama should get a big aliyah from this. Again, special thank you to all the advertising sponsors, like Scoop. Special thank you to Rabbi Anani from Chazak.org. See you all live. Mika Sofer, thank you for posting for us and pushing us. And a very special thank you to Chayla Kaufman, Shmuel Summer from JCN, who are always promoting us digitally on all the websites. Uh, let's go to closing. Coach Menachem, first. Well, first of all, Ushi, uh, all the work that you did tonight, Kanai Nahara, thank you so much. And Rabbi Taub, I must say the information tonight, I think, um, I think it was really, really um, um, the core. A lot of people are looking for this. And uh, like Usha said, we only, we only touched the tip of the iceberg. And the only reason why you're stopping now is because you listen to rules. <laughs> but uh, I think you're gonna, we'll, we'll have to have a follow-up. And uh, again, a lot of people are in it, in this situation, which uh, they're struggling and it's hard to implement the ideas. It was good, the concepts, but it, it does take a lot of work. And um, step by step, hopefully they can understand it logically and then take it into their, to their life. Um, I do want to mention there is a course out there, somebody mentioned before on, in the chat, um, Shalom Task Force. They give for Chasen uh, um, and uh, follow up after marriage, just to, to understand what we discussed tonight and to be able to uh, implement them. And again, Rabbi Taub, thank you so much for coming on and to let us talk to you live. And Hashem should help you. You should have a lot of tzlach and whatever you do. Amen. Please continue writing because the Elam likes it. <laughs> and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Now the floor is yours. Closing. You can go as long as you want. Okay. So tell me when I'm within 30 seconds of where Shalom got up to, and then I'll... Wow. But again, Shalom Ochre, speak about addiction. You're not speaking about addiction. <laughs> addiction to Amun HaBetachem. We got to get Shalom Ochre on here. We got to call him up. Somebody text him. Put him on. Put him on. Okay. So uh, we'll tell a bedtime story. How about that? Well, there's a there's a there's a word, right? That the 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 Eulam tell stories to their children to put them asleep. And by Yidden, we tell stories to keep us awake. So I'll tell you a story. Story is that there was once um, a guy he's sitting by a, a shear, and Yankiv shear in shul, and uh, he couldn't understand one word because. He was an Amma Aritz, and uh, he was so broken about this. He was so humiliated, frustrated, so angry at himself. He got up and he walked outside and he just started crying about being such an Amma Aritz. And as he's crying, this mysterious thing, this mysterious stranger appears and says to him, why are you crying? He says, because I can't learn. So the mysterious stranger says to him, I have something for you. He pulls out from his pocket a parchment 
with olive base on it. He says, read the olive base from this parchment. And I think you're going to find that learning will be a little bit different for you. But before I give it to you, I, I want you to agree to something. He says, yeah, what do you want me to agree? He says, I want you to agree that if anyone asks that you should teach them Torah, you have to say yes. He says, me teach? I mean, I'm an audit. No one wants to learn from me. He says, nevertheless, if I give you the parchment, I want you to promise that if anyone ever asks to learn with you, you say yes. He says, yeah, halavai, they should want to learn with me. Yeah, fine. So he gives him the parchment. Mysterious stranger disappears. The guy reads it. After he finished with the parchment, his head feels clear. He walks into the to shul. He sits down. He understands everything that all this saying. And from that day, everything he learns, it's just immediately clear to him. Around the same time, there was a second guy. And he was, he was walking around. He was trying to find somebody who would pay him for a day of work. Pay him a few, uh, few pennies to work for the day. Because he had no money. And uh, he couldn't even find work. And he's crying. And a mysterious stranger appears. He comes to him and says, why are you crying? He says, I'm crying because uh, I don't have money. And I have no way to make money. And, and I'm always in debt. And I never have money. So the mysterious stranger pulls out from his pocket a coin. He says, see this coin? I'm going to give you this coin. And don't spend the coin. Hold on to the coin. And I think you're going to find that your relationship with the money will change. But before I give it to you, I want you to promise something. That when you have money, if someone asks for tzedakah, whatever amount they ask for, whatever the amount is that they need, if, if you have it, you will give it to them. He says, if I have it. <laughs> he says, but... I want you to agree. He says, but I never have money. He says, nevertheless, I think you're going to find that situation will change. And I want you to promise that if people ask for money, if, if you have it, you'll give them the amount that they need. He says, fine, no problem. I promise. Gives him the coin. Mysterious stranger disappears. Second, he gets the coin. Someone runs over and asks him, can you do so? You know, just schlep the, this, this the, over there. Some very quick little job. He gets the job. He gets coins from that. Then all of a sudden he buys some schreder with the, with the coins and he sells it immediately uh, with, with, with a profit and he buys more. All of a sudden, everything he touches, fast, quick, always, you know, make, from that day on, he's blessed when it comes to money. Okay. Around the same time, the third guy, don't worry, there's only three guys. Okay, it's always three guys. The third guy is a bachar, he's single, and he's crying. He says, I'm so lonely. I want a wife. I want a wife. I want to build a home with a, with a wife. And a mysterious stranger appears and says, why are you crying? He says, because I'm lonely. I want to I get married already. He says, so listen to me. I have a shidduch for you. Very underrated girl. Her, her, her mother's a, a widow. and She lives in a little shack on the other side of the hill. And nobody knows about her, but... I think she'll make you very happy. But before I send you there, before I give you the address, I want you to promise me something. He says, what? Whatever your wife asks you to do, I want you to agree. He says, how if I, I, would, I would love to have a wife. If I had a wife, see, you know, it was single. He says, if I had a wife, I would always do whatever, like all the Bahrams say. I would always do whatever my wife asks. He says, but I'm serious. Are you willing to do it? He says, of course I am. He says, fine. Then here's where to find the girl. And 
He sends him off. All right. That's the setup for the story. Five years later, okay? Five years later. The guy who used to be the Amma Oritz is sitting in his yeshiva, where he is Rosh Yeshiva, and he's giving a share. And all of his Talmidim, high-level Talmidim, are sitting around. And in the middle of the shir, this mysterious stranger appears. He says, Rebbe, teach me Aleph base. The Rosh Hashiva says, teach you Aleph base. What am I, a Malamed? Go, go ask a school teacher. He says, Rebbe, please, I'm a simple Jew. I can't read. My parents never sent me to Chedid. Teach me Aleph base. I'm asking you to teach me. And Rosh Hashiva says, well, I'm telling you, this is for high-level students. I'm not teaching Aleph Base. Mysterious stranger says, I know you were once like me. You were also an Amma Oditz. And I know you were given a parchment. And that's where your success came from. And Rosh Hashiva gets furious. He says, the parchment? The parchment's a joke. This, and pulls it out. He says, this is a joke. I succeeded in my learning because I am that smart. Take the parchment. Mysterious stranger says, fine, take the parchment. He takes the parchment, disappears. Rosh Hashiva sits down. Cannot remember what he was talking about. That's it. Boom. His learning is completely gone. It's all gone. That's it. He's an Amaud. It's just like he was five years ago. Same time. Mysterious stranger appears at a nice big mansion. He knocks on the door. The butler answers the door. He says, I'm collecting for Achnos' Kala, for my daughter. I need 100 rubles. The butler says, we have a policy. We give 10 rubles. He says, but I need 100. But that's not what we do. We give 10. So the guy barges in. He goes to the den where the Gvir is sitting. And he says to the Gvir, I need 100 rubles. Gvir says, we have a policy. My butler should have told you that. He says, he did tell me that, and I'm telling you, I need 100. He says, but I don't do that. He says, listen, you were once poor like me. You didn't have two coins to, to rub together. I know that you were poor, and that you, from the day you got this special coin, that you started to succeed in business. The Gvir gets furious. He pulls out the coin. He says, this, this is a joke. He says the same line. How did I become rich? Because I have business acumen. Take the coin. He throws it at him. And he says, and that's all you're going to get from me. Mysterious stranger takes the coin, disappears. A moment later, the messenger runs in. He says, your warehouse burned down. It was uninsured. Next messenger runs in. The merchandise were coming in from the boats. They sunk. They sunk. They were, not, they were uninsured. Within 30 seconds, he lost his entire fortune. He's completely, not only he has no money, he has choyves. Wiped out. Around the same time, a mysterious stranger comes walking up the hill to the little shack where this guy lives with his wife and her mother, the almona. And as the mysterious stranger is walking up the hill, the wife says to the husband, I see a guest. We never get guests. We live on the other side of the hill. No one comes here. Go shecht the sheep and roast it so we can serve meat to our guest. Now, this sheep was their parnosa. They would take wool from the sheep. And that's how they lived. She said, shecht the sheep and roast it and serve it to our guest. And he said, yes, dear. 
And as the mysterious stranger appears, he sees this guy taking the sheep to Shech. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm about to make dinner. Come join us. He says, you always eat roasted uh, sheep every night? He says, well, you know, for a guest, yeah. For a guest, we do. He says, come on. Tell me, this was your idea? He said, no, it wasn't my idea. He says, so why are you roasting a sheep for a guest? He says, well, my wife told me. The mysterious stranger says, and you always do everything your wife tells you to do? He says, yeah, pretty much, I do. The mysterious stranger says, good. Then take this parchment and take this coin. That's the end of the story. So here's my question. Since the story never happened, it's clearly a made-up story. It could have been written however you want to write it. So could the story work just as well if the, the Amoritz becomes a Rosh Hashiva, maybe he would have stayed humble and he would have agreed to learn with the mysterious stranger when he wanted to learn Aleph base. And then he wouldn't have lost his, his, his wisdom and he and he could, and maybe maybe it could have been the other two guys, maybe the the rich guy and the married guy would become arrogant, and the, and then he would get all the blessings that they had, or maybe we could do it the other way. You could have the rich guy who stayed humble, and when they asked him for the money, he gave the money, and the the Rosh Hashiva and the married guy were arrogant. They didn't keep their promise, and they forfeited their their present, and it went to the to the rich guy. My point is, since the story's a made up story. Could we have written the story in such a way that one of the th one of the other three guys ended up being the one who gets all the blessings in the end? Why does it have to be the married guy? Or maybe it doesn't have to be the married guy. So I'm only asking the question because I've thought about it long enough already to have an answer. An answer, my answer. You might have a different answer, but these are my closing arguments. So I'm going to give you my answer. I'll tell you a story. There's one time in Lubavitch, the Rebbe Rishab, you heard of the Rebbe Rishab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad. He had a brother, an older brother named Reza, Rezal Menaren. Some, some, somebody just texted in the chat because they can't marry that guy. What? Yeah, no kidding. So they could have had a different shidduch, a different girl. <laughs> they would have found their mashet, of course. Okay. That's not the answer. Anyways. Um, so the Rebbe Rishab had an older brother named Rebzal Menaren. They called him Rezal. Anyways, the mice is like this. One time in front of the Yechidist Tzimmer, where the Rebbe Rishab used to meet with people, there's a guy standing there crying. And the Rizal walks by and he asks the guy, why are you crying? He says, because I was just inside in Yechidus with your brother, with the Rebbe. And I told him about a serious problem. And he tells me, I can't help you. And that's it. And now I'm tzabrochen, totally broken. So the Rizal marches into, he was the older brother. Okay, his younger brother was the Rebbe, but it was still a younger brother. You know how older brothers are. So he marches in and he says to the Rebbe Rishab, there's a guy standing outside and he's tzabrachen because he says, he came and asked you for a bracha and you told me, 
So they would have to send them back in. So they sent the guy back in. He came in. He asked the same question that he asked before. The Rebbe Hashem gave him a bracha, and it was Mokoyim that came true. The Rebbe told the story. And the Rebbe asked a couple questions. The Rebbe asked, first of all, why did he say, I can't help you? Comfort the guy. Come, you can fire him. Even when you can't help him, you can, I feel so bad. My heart goes out to you, thoughts and prayers, right? Second of all, why, why did he even say, I can't help you? He clearly could because he walked back in a minute later and he gave him the bracha and it worked. So why did he say he couldn't help him? He clearly could help him. Good question, huh? So the Rebbe answers like this. I'm giving the, very much the kitzer here. You have to know how a bracha works. Brachas, the Ebesheh gives brachas all the time. The kunz is to have a kli, to catch the bracha. Or actually, it's not to have a cleat, to be a cleat. To be a vessel means to be open. It means to be receptive. A full vessel cannot receive. So the key to being debenched is removal of the ego. When you're full, you know, it's like it's like learning. A person who thinks he knows everything can't learn. That's a full vessel, can't receive, right? A person who thinks he knows all the answers, he can't receive. That's why we say humility is teachability. If he's not humble, he's not teachable. And the same thing is, if he's not humble, he's not blessable. Because if you're full already, you can't receive. So in order to receive, you have to be empty. Apparently what happened is this. The guy came into the Rebbe Rishab and he asked for a bracha. But he wasn't empty. Maybe there was a, a little bit of maybe he felt he still had some type of a backup. He was going, maybe he was a That's a formality. You go to a Rebbe, you ask a bracha. But he basically felt like I got this one, you know. So the Rebbe Rishab told him the truth. I can't help you. Why? Because even if I pour a bracha for you, if your cup is full, you're not going to catch it. So I cannot, he told him the truth. I cannot help you. Guy walks out and he, he feels totally broken. Razor sees him, goes in, tells the Rebbe Risham, the guy's broken. The Rebbe Risham says, perfect. Send him back in. Broken? We can work with broken. Now I can bless this guy. That's the vote. Being blessable means being humble. Less ego, more blessing. So here's the, here's the thing, though. The occupational hazard of every blessing is that ultimately the blessing itself can cause you to lose your blessing. Let me explain what I mean. But the irony is blessing can cause you to lose your blessing. Explain what I mean. A person who becomes very smart. That's a blessing. Right? Clearly, it's a blessing. But if he becomes full of himself, he becomes arrogant. Oh, I'm so smart. Everyone wants my answers. What happens is he loses his blessing. He becomes a fool. Worse than a fool because he thinks he's so smart. 
or person becomes rich and he gets very arrogant about it. And because he's arrogant, it's and he loses the blessing. Either he loses his money or you're going to say, well, I know a lot of rich guys who are arrogant. They didn't lose their money. And I'll tell you this, their money is not a blessing. And if you don't believe me, borrow my phone for one day. I she told you don't call me with your personal problems, but people still do. And half the people calling me are the people everyone else envies because they're rich and they have terrible lives. So sometimes money is not a blessing. The point is that the, the, the occupational hazard of a bracha is when you get the bracha, Somebody asked me for my phone number. No, I don't want more calls. No more phone <laughs> no. It just came out of the chat. No, go to soulwords.org. Anything intelligent I have to say is on there. Anything Give him else? Give him a rational number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you should post Rabashkin's number on the chat. Okay. I'm sure Mrs. Rabashkin will be very thrilled with that. Anyways, and then it's going to become the Shalom Bias topic. Okay. Anyways. The word is, when you get a bracha, you start to feel good. You start, my Yeshua came, I feel so good. But the danger is, then you get complacent, and then you feel it's all me. You know, the classic joke. I, I mean, you shouldn't even tell it, because everyone knows it. But you know the guy who's going to a business meeting in Manhattan, and he can't find a parking spot, and he's driving around the block, he's, he's going to miss the meeting, he's gonna, it's a million-dollar deal. He tells Hashem, Hashem, Help me up, get a parking spot, and I'm going to give Meiser from the from the million-dollar deal. Still no parking spot. Drives around the block again. Says, Hashem, help me find a parking spot. I'm going to give Chaymesh from the deal. Still no parking spot. He says, Hashem, please, I'm going to miss the deal. Give me a parking spot. I'm going to give 50% to Tzedakah for the million-dollar deal. All of a sudden, a spot opens up. He says, Hashem, never mind. I found one. Okay. So when a person is desperate, right? when a person's in crisis, so he... He feels that, that spirituality. He feels Hashem is blessing me. But then he gets blessed. Oh, no, don't worry, Hashem. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. That's the danger of every blessing. That the person gets the blessing, and it's yodi, and it's self-reliance. And then what happens is he loses the blessing because he can't fill a cup that's already full. So that's the danger of every blessing person who's smart, his smarts can become the opposite of blessing. person who's rich, his richness can become the opposite of blessing. That's why in the story, the story was the, the Amorites became the Rosh Hashiva and it became his undoing. And then the Oni became the Gvir, became his undoing. But there is one blessing that will always keep you humble. And therefore, it's the blessing that brings more blessing. Like in the story, the guy who was humble and he said yes to his wife all the time, he ended up with the parchment and with the coin. Because the key to blessing, it's all the Eivishter, it's not us, the Eivishter. We just have to be open. I told it from the beginning, ego is EGO, edging God out. We have to get rid of the ego and be open, be blessable. So there's one blessing that will keep us blessable. The one blessing that always ensures that we will be humble 
and open to Hashem because we realize we are incapable of doing this. It's not me. It couldn't be me. It's impossible for a human being to do this. This is all Eivishter. It's marriage. With marriage, it'll always keep us humble. And I don't just mean because we're forced to be mevater and to be flexible, although I mean that as well. I mean that as well, that you're forced to be flexible and you're forced to give in, and that'll keep you humble. But I also mean the fact that you're doing something that shouldn't be shy for a human being to accomplish. A finite being is going to accomplish something infinite. So that's the bottom line. We should all be blessed with the blessing that brings more blessing. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Kyle. Thank you for your time. Everybody, see you next week. Same time, same place. Good night, everybody.